right, Black Power, BB48, Mahotep, Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. This is Brother Bourne. We're going to get it in night tonight, Slaughterhouse Saturday. Let's start it off right, though, with a praise Nat Turner, glory to Garvey, long live the spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad, praise Harriet Tubman, glory to Ida B. Wells, long live the spirit of Sister Fanny Lou Hamer, black power, black power, black power. Um, well, tonight, family, you know, we got uh, we got a special for you You know, we got the, the esteemed elder historian, Dr. Walter Williams. You know, he's coming in. And uh, we're going to do a little review from the last show that he came in. We were dealing with misnomers in history. And then, you know, we're going to open it up with some question and, question and answer. Um, so let's do it the right way. Black Power, what's going on out there, Sue, and how are you tonight? Uh, may I hotel Black Power? I'm doing well. Well, I'm looking forward to tonight's show. Um, as you know, as you know, this is Slaughterhouse Saturday, which is a theme we took um, under um, John Henry Clark on who's betraying the African Revolution, a book he had wrote. We like to ask the question on Saturday slaughterhouses, who is still betraying the African Revolution? And the context will be tonight will be uh, those who pro- uh, uh, provoke or promote misnomers in history. And tonight, I think uh, Brother Bourne already said it, but we have a great elder who is here to explain and iron out some of those wrinkles in history, for those who may not know. So, um, the brother may be already on, um, Brother Bourne, may be already on. Yes, sir, I'm about to go to his line right now open and open it on now. Okay. All right. Um, Come on. Dr. Walter Williams, is you? Yes. Yes, sir. My hotel. Yeah, my hotel, my brother. All right. Welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me back on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you know, it's definitely always a pleasure to sit at the feet of an elder historian and, and from our times, a master teacher, you know, and um, we definitely plan on getting into a, uh, several different things. I, I got got a lineup of questions, a litany of questions, and we got people on the line who are going to have questions and things of that nature. But um, let, I'll let Brother Mickerrod take over right now for, for a few moments, and then we'll, you know, we'll just go, ahead, go along with the dialogue as seems fit. Okay, that sounds great to me. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Boyan. Uh Just for those listeners who may not know who you are, uh, uh, Bob Warren, can you go ahead and tell us who you are, where you're from, you know, when you were born and so forth, and how you got into the subject matter of history? Well, you know, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I was born in 1931, August the 9th, 1931. I'm 84 years old. I've been studying for 41 years. I, In my lifetime, I've uh, taught uh, college uh, here in Chicago, in the Chicago area, uh, Olive Harvey, Kennedy King, taught grammar school for three years, um, and I've opened up a ancient Egyptian museum here. Uh, that The doors opened March 11, 1990. It stayed open for 11 years, and I uh, had an institute there uh, as well as the museum. At the institute, we taught uh, classes there on all three major Western religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, and I've written two books, uh, 
the historical origin of Christianity and the historical origin of Islam. The thesis of the historical origin of Christianity is saying that there has never been a man that ever walked the earth in human form of any race, creed, or color by the name of Jesus Christ never existed. And um, that book has been out for 23 years. It's selling all over America, in the U.K., uh, in the Caribbean, and all English-speaking countries throughout the world. Uh, the historical origin of Islam, the thesis of that book is saying that there has never been a man that ever walked the earth in human form of uh, any race, creed, or color by the name of a Prophet Muhammad of Islamic tradition never existed. And uh, that book has been out for 13 years and is selling in the same location as the Christianity book. So um, I do a lot of talk radio shows around the country because I'm in demand by different uh, radio uh, show hosts such as uh, you guys here tonight. And I appreciate you all for having me on tonight. And um, uh, that's just about a short overview of me, Walter Williams. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, it may sound redundant. My questions may sound redundant because we talk frequently, but for the listening audience, you know, I want to ask these questions. Uh, can you tell us what is history, uh, Bob Williams? Well, history consists of five things, the five ingredients, as I call it. Time, people, places, events, and literature. The literature is needed to write the time of the historical event, uh, the people who participated or made that uh, event, and the event itself. Uh, and uh, the literature is, 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 is used to write and keep that time so in uh, future uh, generations coming before us that they will know what happened in the year 2016, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the base foundation of uh, history, knowing the time, people, places, events, and having literature to uh, record those time, people, places, and events. So that is, in essence, uh, uh, the foundation of uh, the rudiments of history. Thank you. And can you tell, uh, listen, Ernest, how important facts are in regards to finding history? Well, facts are, are, are very, very important because, uh, as I uh, stated in my books, facts are stronger than argument, more profound than reasoning, more dependable than opinions, silences dispute, supersedes predictions and facts always end the argument unless you're talking to an individual who does not want to know the facts. Now, um, what's in control out here today is the European has control of the school system, okay? And um, uh, so you've got to be very careful in reading what the Europeans have put out because there's a lot of tricks that they use to put things out and for the purpose uh, used by Western academia to put things out. One of the main things that you really have to understand, us Africans in the African community, is to understand that they have taught us away, us Africans away, from who our ancestors are, okay? Uh, because they don't have a beginning known history of themselves, the Europeans I'm talking about. 
one has to realize uh, that Europeans uh, in Europe and throughout Europe has only had literacy, uh, literacy in Europe for 619 years with this year, 2016. 619 years, that's it. So therefore, they are Johnny come latest on the scene of world history. And their history started when Alexander the Greek came into Egypt to meet our ancestors. Now, our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, had a first beginning history and the oldest beginning history known to mankind. And we're talking about a date of 10,000 B.C., okay? Uh, and they are the ones that uh, brought literacy to the whole entire world because they were the only literate people walking this planet we call Earth during the time of antiquity. Antiquity means ancient times. So therefore, by them creating the world's first alphabet, that is what made them literate, you see. Literacy you cannot have, no one can have, unless you know your ABCs. That uh, knowledge of knowing your ABCs makes you literate because you're uh, able to use the, that alphabet to learn how to read, write, and spell. So that makes you a literate person. So you really have to understand uh, who the European uh who he is and who we are and our ancestors are as a people. I didn't say were, but are. We have to get back to our ancient Egyptian ancestors and unify around ancient Egypt and our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, because they uh, created everything that is being used in uh, throughout the world by all races of people. You see, and in the movie Selma, if you uh, individual saw that movie Selma, there was a scene in there where Amelia Boynton Robinson, uh, who was uh, played by a actress, uh, and a actress who was playing Coretta Scott King, they were walking down the street, and the actress that was playing Amelia Boynton Robinson told the actress that was playing Coretta Scott King that we come from a great people a people who brought civilization to the world. Now, we have to really understand that our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, are the only people on planet Earth that brought civilization to this to this uh, world, uh, this planet that we call Earth, okay, and to all of the people living within the planet that we call Earth. So, therefore, our greatness is lying in the continent of Africa, unclaimed at this very moment that I'm talking to you because the descendants are not claiming that. See, they, the descendants have been confused out here because uh, of the school system that has taught us through uh, uh, the years of our time on earth has misled us away on purpose, away from ancient Egypt. They don't want you to be there because if you go to ancient Egypt, and claim our ancestors as being the ancient Egyptians who brought civilization to this world. That means that white supremacy can no longer be practiced by the Europeans against us. Can't do that because we know who we are. They can't match. No race of people on earth can match what our ancestors has presented and produced and has given 
to the world of humanity. Can't do that. So you really have to understand what is happening around us and what has happening uh, and, and what is continuing to happen uh, at this very moment that I'm talking to you at and about us from coming from Western academia. Now, they use different tricks, okay? They use incarnate. They incarnate a name. How do you incarnate a name? You create a name, any kind of name. Just pull a name out of the, out of the, out of the air. And what you do in order to coordinate that name, such as John, for instance. If you use the name, uh, take the name John, what you do in coordinate that name, you uh, make a body for it and put flesh on it. How do you do that? You attach a story to that name of John. John never existed as a human being, okay? But now, once you attach a, a narrative story to John, and you put it out there in the school system, or you put it in the Bible, where the the Bible is a book that one has to believe in, or you mix it in with religion. Religion, all religions are man-made. One has to believe in these religions in order to keep them alive. So if you put the story of John, for instance, John lives in Chicago. He's married to uh, a Mary. Uh, who is a school teacher in Chicago. Mary and John have two children, okay, Flaxton and Flaxine. And uh, every Saturday, John and Mary and, the two, and their two children go uh, grocery shopping. John works at the post office, and uh, he was born on uh, uh, August the 15th, uh, 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 1986 or something like that. Any kind of name or or any kind of uh, birth that you want to give this, John, and you put it in certain uh, places such as the Bible where people come along and they read those stories about John, and then John becomes real. How does John become real? How does, how does John become real? Because the person who reading this story believed the story, and you, the human being, give uh, uh, John just a name, been incarnated, and Mary and their two children, you give them life, and that's how it's done. And then you really have to understand what these, uh, uh, these, 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 these Western academians are doing to the whole entire world by uh, incarnating names. And then there are other ways that uh, Western academia get messages and false information to the world is by writing through a name, such as, let's say, let's say Erasmus, who created no, the Novum Instrumentum, better known as the New Testament. He wrote through uh, three characters, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. That's never been any Mark, Matthew, or Luke. Those are names that Erasmus, this is as Erasmus, used to write through. You see? So, therefore, they put it in certain places, like I mentioned before, and uh, the, the, the reader comes by. He's been trained to believe in these stories. He's been trained in the school system to believe in uh, these stories. He's been trained in the religious institution to believe in these stories. So, when he uh, comes by and he sees it in the Bible, and he reads the story, and he believes it, and when he, once he believes it, he puts life to the story. So you really have to understand what is being put before us, what is uh, continuing to be put before us, and uh, this is what you need to know in order for you to know the tricks 
that Western academia has done to all of mankind. So I come along trying to straighten certain things out. A lot of people may say, well, every time you mention something, Walter Williams is going to say, well, that never happened. Well, I'm saying that for a reason, you see? So uh, that's what I have to say to that, Brother Mankara. Thank you. Um, well, speaking of speaking of the tricks that, that they play, and, and, and you right on top of my next question, what are some of the tricks one would have to look for regarding some of the mythology that surrounds the history of Alexander the Greek? Well, first place, in order to be a historian, you have to know dates. Dates are very, very important because when you read a story or someone tell you about something that's supposed to have happened in history, human history, so you've got to deal with human history. So you've got to know the difference between human history and pseudopigrapher man-made uh, uh, so-called history. Pseudopigrapher means false and fictitious man-made uh, history, which is non-human history. So you have to know the dates. So I always ask, when a person brings me any kind of information, I want to know what date are you talking about that is connected to the, uh, the story or the question that you're asking me so I know how to assess whether that's valid by way of human history or it's non-valid by way of pseudopigrapher, non-human history, you see? So, you you know, you have to know, and, 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 and dates, dates are very, very important. Then you can distinguish what is being put before you. You can distinguish what you're reading, whether it's true or false or not. Okay, okay. I want to. I want you to give me an example with the the uh, ancient Sparta. Who? The Spartans. What year? This is. Uh, they say that the Spartans fought with the Persians. No Persians. Right, right, right. I I want you to use you know show the people how you can by by having dates. They're trying to push Alexander's history pre. 323 or 332 entry into Egypt? Well, you have to understand what Western academia has done by way of creating what is known today as the chronology of ancient Egypt. Uh, in my book that my wife and I are producing, uh, there's a chapter in there, chapter 2, where I have a warning to all African scholars, teachers, Intellectuals and students do not use the chronology of ancient Egypt as is written today. First dynasty, second dynasty, so forth and so on. Why? Because the ancient Egyptians, our ancestors, never wrote a chronology or a history of themselves. And I've also put in the book, if you think that's not true, then you produce one. Okay? You can't produce one. So um, in the chronology of ancient Egypt, produced by and created by Western academia, uh, they have in that chronology that they created that the Persians came into Egypt in 525 B.C. And then uh, uh, after uh, them being in uh, Egypt, according to the chronology now, they never was there, that Alexander came in and defeated them, and uh, they took over uh, from that point. You see? So 
uh, I repudiate that because I know where it's coming from. So therefore, there's no Persians. The Persians is uh, supposed to be uh, written by one Herodotus, who has supposed to have written what is known as the Persian Wars. This is where you're getting it. uh, Darius one, Darius two, Exodus and uh, Queen Esther, the Jewish queen, and so forth and so on. So all that's part of uh, that uh, the Persian myth. And the third chapter in my book, I'm writing uh, the repudiation of the Persian biblical myth, and so forth and so on. So now, uh, why do I say? All of this, what I just got through saying, is because of one Herodotus. That's never been a Herodotus. There's never been a Socrates, a Plato, an Aristotle, a Herodotus, a Euripides, or a Homer, or a Hippocrates, or Solon. None of those names ever existed. Why? Because uh, you got to remember when Alexander the Greek came into Egypt, the Greeks never had an alphabet. Europeans never had an alphabet. So therefore, the Europeans never had an institution. In order to have an institution, you have to have an alphabet. Okay? And like I told you before, uh, literacy only has been in Europe for 619 years with this year, 2016. So therefore, prior to that, Europeans had no literature because they didn't have an alphabet. How did the Europeans get an alphabet? How did the Greeks get an alphabet? When Alexander the Greek, coming in in 332, which is the 4th century, uh, he forced the Greek language on our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, by them being a literate people, by them creating the world's first uh, alphabet and being the first literate People on planet Earth, they learned that Greek language and they applied an alphabet to the Greek language. So the Greeks never had an alphabet, but it was the Greek language that an alphabet was applied to by our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians. So now with that alphabet uh, came the Greek alphabet. So therefore, uh, uh, the question has to be asked, if an individual... Uh, it's going to insist that there was a Socrates who was supposed to have been born in the 6th century, died in the 5th century, who was supposed to have been a teacher of Plato. Plato was born in the 5th century, died in the 4th century, supposed to be the teacher of Aristotle. Aristotle was born in the 4th century and died in the 3rd century, supposed to have been a teacher of Alexander the Greek. And then there was Herodotus in the 5th century. Okay, supposed to be the father of uh, uh, history for the Europeans. Uh, supposed to be uh, Euripides who wrote Greek tragedies, fifth century, a character. And then you had Homer, uh, which was the ninth century or 800 uh, BC character. So supposed to have written the Iliad and Odyssey. And then you had Hippocrates, supposed to be the father of medicine, fifth century. So therefore, all of these names I just called supposed to have use an alphabet to write with prior to Alexander the Greek coming to Egypt. So Walter Williams asked the question, if an individual wants to insist that these names were human beings, then I ask, what alphabet did these Greek names use? Because the Greeks had no alphabet prior to Alexander coming into Egypt. And 
forcing the Greek language on our ancestors who were a literate people. And they used and learned that Greek language and they created an alphabet for that Greek language. So that's the reason why I'm saying what I said about uh, about the Greeks and so forth. And you can't get any, uh, no Persians and so forth and so on because that's all uh, created out of what is known as uh, the chronology of ancient Egypt, created by Western academia using the Bible to do so. Brother Menkara. Thank you, Bible. Now, Thank, now that we, we we dealt with the Greeks and 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 and, and I, you know you, you you cleared up a lot of our questions with the Greeks. So now, moving on past the Greeks, um, 264 BC to 146 BC, ancient Rome versus Carthage. Did Hannibal exist? No, uh, no such thing. Okay, because. Uh, Hannibal is a misnomer, especially uh, in our African community, among our African scholars. Um, that is part of what is known as the Punic Wars, okay? And they are equating a Hannibal to be an African, which is not true. Hannibal, uh, the story is centered in Carthage or Carthaginia. Now, the biblical Carthage is in Africa, in the country that we know today as Tunisia. That's the biblical Carthage, okay? Uh, where this, uh, Hannibal Bacab was supposed to have come from is Carthaginia, which is a seaport town in Spain off of the Mediterranean. Now, I'm going to tell you why that this Hannibal never existed of any race, creed, or color. I'm going to tell you why that the Punic War uh, is a lie put out by Western academia. Now, this is the reason. In the Punic Wars, they said this Hannibal came out of Carthaginia, which, again, is in Spain, a seaport town in Spain off of the Mediterranean, that this Hannibal was supposed to have had 90 infantrymen, 90,000, I'm sorry, 90,000 infantrymen, 20,000 cavalry men, means men on horseback, now, and 40 elephants. So let's go uh, and, and, and add up what we have. You got 90,000 plus 20,000, which is 110,000 men, with 20,000 horses and 40 elephants going all through, marching all through Spain, the country of Spain, going into France, all through France, up in the Swiss Alps, which is very cold, and coming down in uh, Rome to invade Rome. Now, mind you, for the elephants in a very cold, cold, cold climate, elephants are warm-blooded mammals. They eat a lot. They'll eat snow. Okay? Now, you got 120,000 men and 20,000 horses to feed along with 40 elephants. 
and you're marching all through. Where are, they, where are these people getting their food? Where's the horses getting their food? Where's the elephants getting their food? Where's the 110,000 men getting their food from? Now, if an individual believe that story, then I say, okay, fine, believe it. But I don't believe it. I said that Hannibal's story, according to what I told you, is a lie based off of a lie created by Western academia. The Punic Wars is a lie created by Western academia. And all people, all scholars out here, some of them, I'm not saying all of them, they gravitate to this Hannibal being an African, and they are so proud that this Hannibal is the greatest general that has ever lived on planet Earth. That's a lie, so don't fall for that trick. So that's the reason why I said there's no such thing as a Hannibal or a Punic Wars ever happened. Brother Mankara. Thank you, Walter Williams. Now, I, I, I don't want to sound redundant, but I got I to gotta ask you this question because we got a listening audience. The the methodology that you just used will be the same you will use to uh, uh, repudiate the Phoenician. Because I noticed in my research, the first thing I did was try to look for a geographical location of Phoenicia, and I couldn't find one. Phoenicians are in the Bible. That's why you can't find it. The Phoenicians, they're setting you up. Okay, the Phoenicians, their color was supposed to be purple and all that other kind of BS coming from Western academia. The Phoenicians uh, equal to the phonetics or the Phoenicians supposed to have uh, created paper and so forth and so on. So don't fall for that. The only place that you find Phoenicians is in the Bible, and the Phoenicians lead you to Jews in the Bible. It's a setup. Don't fall for it. That's the reason why you can't find anything on Phoenicians outside of the Bible. Okay. And I asked that question because I received a bachelor's when I went to uh, Cal State University of San Bernardino, and this is an anthropological class mainly on archaeology, and they like to focus that Mesopotamia is the cradle of civilization. And you, you're saying that the, they're using the Bible to do so. Am I correct? That's correct. So you got to remember this, man, Karah. The chronology of ancient Egypt that's out here now, first, second, third dynasty, and so forth and so on, that was created by Western academia using the Bible. In my new book that's coming out, I am giving you, the reader, the, an old chronology that came out of a book that was dated 1867 on Egypt. And I, they had a chronology in there. And the first king of, uh, of Egypt was Mezram. And in parenthesis, they said Menes. Mezram is the son of Ham in the Bible. Mezram, uh, the son of Ham. Ham is the son of Noah. Noah had three uh, sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, that makes up what is known in the Bible as the family and table of nations. So that was the first cat that they let out of the bag. When they said Mezram, Mezram, other name is supposed to be Egypt, and that's supposed to be the first pharaoh of of ancient Egypt. Also, in this chronology, I'm putting uh, from this 1867 uh, chronology in uh, my book, which uh, lists uh, Mezram as the first 
dynastic king, they will tell you uh, from different periods in uh, this chronology where you can find what they just what you just got through reading in this chronology in the Bible. So they're giving you all these different Bible verses in there, and I got that to show uh, our readers in the African community what these people are doing now. Also, uh, the Europeans has created another chronology uh, based off of Mesopotamia, which is biblical, okay? And in this chronology, they are paralleling the chronology that they created for ancient Egypt, but guess what they're doing? They are, they, they are creating a Sumerian and a cuneiform to say that the Sumerians bought was the first people to to bring writing to the world, to knock our ancestors off of that throne of being the first literate people to bring an alphabet to the world. Don't fall for it, Brother Mankara. Yes, sir, and I haven't because the, the first thing I wanted to examine were the artifacts and I wanted to get a definitive uh, 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 explanation or, or a decipherment of the so-called cuneiform on clay tablets. And I was listening to a lecture by a professor. His name was Peter Robertshaw. He's a Brit. And uh, omission he had left out, he, 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 was, he was talking about the, the geographical landscape of this so-called Mesopotamia. And he omitted and said that there is no metal or there is no uh, uh, stone quarries, anything of that nature, that, to have metal. And and I look, and these these, are pe- these people are supposed to be the architects of civilization, the creators of writing, and great agriculturalists. So wh- when he said that, I, the first thing that went off my mind was, what what were these people doing then? Uh, cutting their crops with stone sickles, you know, to some extent. So everything you said, you know, in that regard to the Mesopotamians, I've, I've cross-referenced. And they lack, they lack um, culture material. And one thing I've noticed too, and, and been able to prove with your uh, your information, is how they create artifacts. Can you go into that a little bit? Well, let me let me tell you this. Before I go into that, I want to tell you this. Mesopotamia is only in the Bible. Never existed as a place where human beings live. Mesopotamia is in Iraq, supposedly. Now, they never tell you that Iraq was a part of Arabia. They never mention that. Uh, And Iraq became Iraq in 1920 when the League of Nations gave a mandate after World War One was won by the British government to the British for that area that is Northeast Africa, misnomer today and called the Middle East. So what the British did, uh, they also made that area uh, the land of the Bible, see? And they went into Arabia in 1920 and boarded Arabia off and made the country called Iraq, and boarded off Iraq, and made the country called Kuwait, in order to break up all the, that oil reserve that was lying in Arabia. 
They didn't want it under one rulership. See, so one has to really understand that. And in your studies and in the books that you're studying and have studied about uh, Mesopotamia, about Iraq, about uh, Sumeria, etc., etc., they never tell you that Iraq or Mesopotamia, uh, uh, they, they tell you that it was part of Iraq, but they never tell you Iraq was part of Arabia. They never tell you that, okay? So uh, that is one thing I want to bring to your attention. Now, the other question you asked me, what was that, Menkara? Um, created artifacts, because you went into the, my next question as well, which is, was Jules Opert, or Opert, and Europeans creating artifacts or or putting definition on artifacts because I had the privilege of doing some archaeological work last summer for the first time after I graduated. And the main thing they focused when they taught us was our job is to just find the artifacts, catalog them, describe them, and that's it. And later on, someone else will come and do an, you know, the interpretation of what whatever we found. So could you go into that, how they create artifacts or how they redefine artifacts in a biblical context? Okay. Now, what, here's what one has to understand about archaeologists, okay? Now, uh, they had a program on 60 Minutes uh, two or three years ago concerning archaeologists. And uh, long story short, there was a, a antiques dealer in New York City, and uh, the narrator in 60 Minutes went to him, and this is what he said about archaeologists. He said, archaeologists are the biggest liars in the world. This is what he said, okay? Now, uh, let me go back a little further. Uh, I get a publication which is a bi-monthly publication called Biblical Archaeology Review. And that magazine that I get bi-monthly uh, gives me uh, the information that I need to uh, use against Western academia. Now, in one of uh, the uh, uh, questions and answers to the, the editor, that's a section, questions and answers to the editor in this particular publication. There was an archaeologist group uh, criticizing another group of archaeologists. They said that uh, archaeologists at a dig in the middle of the night go out and plant artifacts to be dug up the next day and to be discovered by the diggers or the students who are digging over there or the people who's digging over there. Uh, so they uh, they plant these artifacts, okay? And uh, that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is that they create artifacts in the basements of these various Western academian uh, uh, colleges and universities. They create artifacts that they want to present to the world as being authentic, authentic artifacts. And uh, they got a, 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 a 
you take like um uh there's a there was an archaeologist, the father of archaeologists, William Foxwell Albright, who uh sat at uh uh Johns Hopkins University in Maryland. He sat in uh the seat there, he held down the seat of archaeology there at John Hopkins University, and he was the one that Jews would go to and to date things. Uh, he was supposed to have been the one who dated the Shalom inscription, which is a fake. Never been no Shalom inscription. They created that, but they give authenticity to it or try to give authenticity to it by using William Foxwell Albright, this renowned, respected archaeologist who sits in the chair at John Hopkins University uh, as being head of the archaeologist department there. They go to him for the dating of of, of their artifacts, so-called artifacts, and he gives authenticity by uh, applying his name and a date to the artifacts that they bring in to him. He, He is the one that was also used to create the dating of the Dead Sea Scrolls to give the Dead Sea Scrolls some type of authenticity. William Foxwell Albright. So uh, archaeologists cannot be trusted. So don't put no faith in no archaeologists or archaeology. Don't do that. Now, in 1986, the students of William Foxwell Albright had a symposium on Albright. And at this symposium, his students, students was there, and they came up with the conclusion that Albright took the Bible in one hand and a shovel in the other in the other hand to try to dig up in the earth something that will justify the, the stories in the Bible to be true, to make it the Bible literal. So, therefore, they said that he floundered, that he failed. He did not do that. He could not do that because you cannot take and and dig in the earth, no place on earth, and try to dig up anything that proves the Bible to be literate or to be literal. You can't do that because the Bible is based off of a book that one has to believe in. So, therefore, if you don't believe in the stories in the Bible, then that makes the Bible invalid as human history. So don't fall for archaeology. Very, very dangerous. Brother Minkara? Yes, sir. And I'm in the field every day battling them um, and been kind of quarantined because of the revelations I've made by reading your book, both your books, and testing them in the field. And it's funny because I asked so-called doctors who have um, professor emeritus at universities who have so-called impeccable background in regards to European scholarship, and I asked them who was Jules O'Perk, and they had no knowledge of him. And the first phone discussion I had with you and your wife, you you were familiar with his his, his work, his, his role in you know pr- pr- promoting a biblical interpretation of archaeology that a lot of people have no knowledge of because they think because if the culture material fits the biblical perspective, it makes it real. And that's not the case at all in regards to using the discipline of history 
And I've also noticed that archaeologists, European archaeologists, they have a quarry or, 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 or a contention with historians, mainly um, Shankethi Diop's work and so forth like that. That's another discussion, you know. But what I would like to do right now is go ahead and see, uh, ask Brother Bourne if he has any questions, Walter. Uh, uh, I mean, you can do this all day. <laughs> okay. Thank uh, you, Brother Mankara. No problem. Well, I do, I do have some questions, and we're going to also, you know, I want the family on the line to know that we are going to go to the line and allow some of the people in the audience to ask some questions. Um, one, the, the first question that I wanted to ask, though, is um, what, what dynasty, if you were to look back at the dynasty that you, that you have studied in Egypt, which one would you say would be your favorite dynasty uh, that, that stands out the most to you?
a history of ancient Egypt. Now, this is what he said. We mean us, them, I'm sorry, not us, but them, Western uh, academia, those, in other words, Europeans, do not possess a history of the ancient Egyptians. He said that the uh, purely uh, history given by Manetho, the word purely means uh, childish, trivia, uh, and so forth and so on. Information given by Manetho uh, cannot be used. Okay? And then uh, later, uh, further down on page 24 of his book, he asked the reader to forgive him for not knowing anything about ancient Egypt, but he went on to write 624 pages about ancient Egypt. And, but he said he knew nothing about ancient Egypt. So Manetho, in my new book coming out, I am exposing Manetho and to the reader. And so uh, Manetho... Uh, cannot be used to validate any type of ancient Egyptian history because there's never been a man that walked the earth by the name of Manetho. Okay? Sure. So um, that's my answer to you, Brother Bourne. Thank you very much for, for that right there. Um, I got a couple. I got a couple other questions. So they um and they refer to the book The Historical Origins of Islam. And and I wanted to, and, and actually it's a uh well I'm not gonna go to there first. The, uh what I wanna to refer to is is this right here. Because it's dealing with the, um, the some of the work that you um put in the historical origin of Islam. And this is from the Arab invasion of Egypt. In the introduction, there's a paragraph that goes, um, in his book, African Glory, the story of vanished Negro civilizations, the Ghanaian writer J.C.D. Graff Johnson tells us that the, that the first Arab invasion of Egypt and North Africa came in the 7th century and was a religious and cultural conquest. The second invasion came in the 10th century and was a raid and a raping party, mostly led by poorly trained soldiers and free looters. Many of them spread Islam with the sword because they were addicted to murder. And my question, because I read the historical origins of Islam, and and from and from what I got, Islam hadn't been created at that point in time. So could you give... Uh, a type of overview on what on uh, you know on on that on that statement right there the first Arab invasion of Egypt in North Africa came in the seventh century it was a religious and cultural con conquest when they say religious right there what would you what would you say would be uh, the, your understanding of what they mean by religious or what religion were they practicing well first place you have to understand this Brother Bourne, everything that you read uh, is not based on human history, okay? That is historically incorrect, okay? In the 7th century, there was only one religion being practiced on planet Earth, and that was Christianity. But it was not practiced 
outside of the double walled city of Constantinople in northeast Africa in uh, the world's first Christian church known as the Hagia Sophia, which uh, I write about in both books. And my wife, uh, Sister Arnetta Williams, she wrote a chapter in the historical origin of uh, Islam book on what happened to the Church of Hagia Sophia, which, uh, which she wrote and, uh, and produced a lot of information and disseminated a lot of information in that, in that particular chapter about the world's first Christian church being the Hagia Sophia. So that was the first thing you have to understand, that there was no religion, only Christianity, but it was not practiced all over the world. You see, the practice of Christianity being spread all over the world came in the 15th century when the seat of Christianity was moved out of Constantinople, out of the Hagia Sophia, in uh, to uh, on the outskirts of Rome over the catacombs where the Vatican was built in in, in 14 uh, 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 45. You see, when they began to build. St. Peter's Church, known today as St. Peter's Basilica, and they unleashed the, a monster on the whole entire world known as Jesus the Christ, you see? So therefore, in the 7th century, there was no religion but that one, but it was not practiced outside of the double-walled city, no place in the world but in Constantinople, in northeast Africa, in the Hagia Sophia, you see? So that's number one. Number two, um, uh, you're talking about the world's first Arab invasion, okay? The world's first Arab invasion started in 1071, okay? All these things, uh, they're trying to set you up and the world up for something, okay? They're trying to set you up for different religions on earth. If you don't know the difference because uh, people are... are, are asleep by the knowledge that is being put out here by these religions because the people, they're counting on people not knowing human history, you see. They're counting on people to believe in these various religions, and also they're counting on the people, the masses of people throughout the world. Uh, they're training in uh, the school system. You see, the school system teaches you uh, uh, what they want you to know and how to, to think and train your thinking towards this lie, you see? So now let's get back to uh, where the Arabs come from that we know today. For the very first time, okay, you had an eruption of Arabs in 1071, okay, um, 20 years after the Moors, came, went into Spain. The Moors went into Spain in 1051. Twenty years later, here come uh, an eruption of Arabs. Where did they come from? They came out of Tora Bora, of the mountains of Afghanistan. They came from the Caspian Sea area of Afghanistan. They came out of the Caucasus Mountains that area of the Caucasus Mountains coming out of Russia extend, uh, extends into Afghanistan, okay? They came out of Pakistan. Now, Afghanistan borders Iran, so they came through Iran. See, Iran uh, is in northeast Africa, you see, which is called the 
Middle East today. So they came through that area of the world. And they also came from Azerbaijan and Armenia, which is part of the annexed countries to uh, Russia. Okay? So now here you have this influx of what we know today as the Arabs invading into the Byzantine Empire's territory. Okay? And they're bringing different dialects that we know today as Arabic. See, there's no such one language or dialect that can be identified as Arabic. You can't do that. You have all these different mixtures of uh, of languages coming from these uh, these these Arabs who live in certain areas of the world, and by them living in certain areas of the world, uh, they coming from their culture of the areas where they live, they created different dialects and languages. So they brought uh, uh, that and those dialects in to Northeast Africa. And that's uh, by them coming in to uh, Northeast Africa. They're known in history as the Seljuks or the Seljukian Turks, you see. And they uh, came in and began to usurp uh, land areas from the Byzantine Empire or the Byzantine Emperors. Now, uh, Alexis I, Comentos, in 1096, called to Europe for help to defeat these Seljukian Turks. That was the beginning of the world's first crusade or the crusades in Northeast Africa. Okay? So therefore, uh, in 1096, Alexis Comentos called for uh, the European barons who had their own private armies uh, to come into, into Northeast Africa and uh, help defeat uh, the Seljukian Turks and to help save Christendom and so forth and so on. So that is the beginning of uh, the invasion of the Turks or, uh, or the Arabs into, uh, into the areas that I just mentioned in Northeast Africa that came into uh, and settled into Syria, Turkey, uh, Palestine, uh, Jordan. But Jordan wasn't, <clears throat> wasn't created then. Jordan is a country that was created by the British after World War I in 1929. Okay, very modern country. And then they also settled in Arabia, okay? And Arabia, like I mentioned before, uh, with the mandate given to the British government after they defeated the Ottoman and toppled the Ottoman Empire uh, during World War One. World War One consisted of uh, uh, 1914 to 1918. Uh, they was given a mandate by the, the League of Nations, and with that mandate, the, the British went into Arabia, and they boarded off Arabia in 1920 and created the country that we know today as Iraq. They also boarded off Iraq and created Kuwait. And all these countries, uh, Kuwait is next to Iran and so forth and so on. See, so they came in, uh, these Arabs came in that area, including Iran. They came through Iran to get into the area, and they settled in uh, these uh, land areas that I just mentioned to you, plus they went further, they went into Egypt, 
And then they began to go west of Egypt in those countries that's bordering and North Africa that's bordering the Mediterranean, such as uh, Libya is next to uh, Egypt, Tunisia is next to Egypt and Libya, and then you got Algeria, Morocco, and Mauritania. They settled all in, they're still there today, you see? So that's a little overview on the Turkish invasion into Northeast Africa and who they are and where they came from. Brother Bourne? Yes, sir. Thank you very much for that. That was an uh, uh, in-depth, uh, in-depth overview of that right there. Thank you very much, sir. That gave me a, a lot of different insight. About the, uh, I got a little, little bit of research to do. But uh, I got one more question. I got a few more, but I'm going to ask one more question. Then we're going to go to the lines. that some of the family ask some questions. And I know Mika Ra got, uh, got some more questions also. And we'll just keep this thing going. Okay. But my question was on uh, on Moreau. Uh, who? Moreau. In the second century BC, Moreau. Moreau. And um, it's on the Moronic um, script that they that they um, developed. And they sent. What kind of script? I'm sorry. What kind of script? Moronic. M E R O. I T I C. And where can you find it today? Well, um, you can't find it today. <laughs> That's your answer. I'm getting a feed from your phone. All right. Excuse me. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much for that. <laughs> that cleared that up <laughs> very quickly. Right. <laughs> If you can't find it today, then it's just a story. Um, all right. Well, listen. Dude, well, I'm gonna go to the lines. We <laughs> so the family got a couple more questions, but thank you very much for that. And um, we'll move through the lines real quick. We're gonna start off with our uh, brother Dondre. Where's he calling from? Brother Dondre calling from New York City, right? Brother Dondre, stay where you calling from. Black Power family. Um, I'm in Atlanta right now, um, New York number, but I'm in Atlanta right now. I want to say Mod Hotep to the great elder. uh, My question question is kind of piggybacking on the previous question Bourne just asked, when you stated that um, there was no religions practiced at that time, except for Christianity in the 7th century. Um, I have a question about some of the other religions that a lot of the scholars say that Christianity supposedly stole from, like Zoroastrianism, for instance. Um, is there is that would be just chalked up as more stories, or is there any validity of the people actually practicing Zoroastrianism at a time or anything like that? No, there's never been no Zoroaster. Okay, there's never been no religion uh, called Zoroastrianism in the second century. Those, those religions such as Zoroastrianism, um, uh, Buddhism, and so forth, and so forth, those are later, later, later religions out here. So you've got to go back to the time of antiquity. The word antiquity means ancient times. And you really have to know history. And that is very important to know dates 
but then you, uh, with the, the knowledge of dates, uh, uh, you get uh, a better assessment of what uh, is being told to you or what you read, you see? Now, you got to understand that the world's first man-made religion uh, is, is Christianity. Also, you got to understand that no human on earth of any race, creed, or cause, was born with a religion. Where did religion come from? It's created by man to control man. Okay? So uh, that's what you really have to understand. No. Uh, so I'm still getting the feedback. But anyway, um, you have to understand that Christianity was the world's first man-made religion. Mohammedanism uh, is your, uh, is your world man-made religion. Dr. Walter Williams, one second. Brother Dondre, I don't know what it is, but I think something's going on with your line, and it's giving like an echo. Are we getting I'll mute it out. No problem. I'll yeah. mute it out. So, so uh, go ahead, Brother um, um, Dr. Walter Williams, and, and then he'll just come back in once you finish answering the question so we won't keep getting the echo. Okay, well, you, you know, so uh, the world's first religion, like I mentioned, is Christianity. It's the world's first man-made religion. Second one, second man-made religion is Mohammedanism. Okay, um, then from Mohammedanism, the Jews out of the AIU, Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France, uh, which created what is known as the Quran, today's Quran. They took Mohammedanism that was being practiced. Uh, under the sword that the Ottoman Turks used to enforce Mohammedanism in 1300 of the 14th century, okay? And uh, the, the the Jews from France, AIU, Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France, uh, which is an organization that was created in 1860. Ten years later, they found themselves over in uh, uh, Syria to create literature for the Arab world, okay? And what they did, uh, they used Mohammedanism as a religion and they remodeled it to create uh, uh, Quranic Islam that is out here today, okay? So when people ask me, say, well, uh, I want to debate you on Islam. I said, which Islam do you want to debate on? One or two? And they're puzzled, you see? So now, uh, the AIU, using uh, Mohammedanism, uh, they remodeled that and created a Quranic Islam that is being used today. Now, uh, to really understand that, today, as I speak, the three major Western religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, is kept together by one biblical character, and that biblical character is Abraham. No other group has the vested interest to uh, create a, a, a religious literature because they were the only one that was going to create this religion uh, religious literature for the Arab world because they wanted to inject Abraham in there and the story of Abraham and Hagar and 
uh, Ishmael and all that kind of stuff. So that's why they, that's the reason why they put that in there. And the third religion uh, is the is the religion called Judaism. Well, then you had other religions way coming way before Judaism because Judaism is a, is a Johnny come later religion. Okay, and uh, that is another discussion to be uh, to be discussed. But anyway, that gives you uh, a reason why I'm saying about and what I'm saying about these various religions, my brother. Brother Bourne. Hey, I, I got one last question. Um, and it's pretty much pertaining to writing. Um, I know that our ancestors invented writing and we proliferated across the planet. Um, the timetable that they give for these various um, Eastern faiths, I would say, like Zoroastrianism, and Buddhism, being in the um, 6th century B.C. and 5th century B.C., um, is there any valid archaeological evidence that we can turn to that would show that our ancestors really did help these civilizations strive and they just took the stories in their own direction? Well, see, here, here's what you have to understand, uh, brothers, this. In the, in the 6th and 7th century B.C., no religions on planet Earth, not even Christianity. So, wipe that out. Okay? You've got to understand this. This is another thing that you really have to understand. The alphabet that was created by our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, in Egypt, and by them creating this alphabet made them the, the first and only literate people on planet Earth during the time of antiquity. So let's follow uh, what is happening today as we speak. That uh, phonetic uh, Coptic Egyptian script is known today as the Hieratic Demotic. And in my books, I got uh, two alphabet charts. One uh, alphabet chart is in the Christianity book, and the is in the Islam book. Okay? So today, as I speak, to prove what I'm saying, uh, that script is used and by Western academia. It's called the Greek alphabet, but I told you how the Greeks got an alphabet, okay? I told you that earlier on in this program. So uh, then I told you about how uh, the Latin alphabet came about after the Romans came into uh, Egypt and took over from the Greeks. And they, uh, their language, an alphabet was applied by our ancestors, and that uh, uh, alphabet is known as the Latin alphabet. From the Latin come the English, and so forth and so on and so on and so on. So therefore, show me, coming from any uh, a people walking this earth, having an alphabet that is being used by the races of people throughout the world. You can't do that. So that's what you really have to focus in on and study that and about the alphabet coming from our ancestors being the first and only literate people on planet Earth and following their alphabet from that time up into the, the present day, you see, and, 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 and in between. So that would be my answer to you, my brother. 
Thank you a lot, um, Baba Williams. Thank you. Okay, you're welcome, my brother. Welcome, my brother. Have a hotel. Have a hotel. All right, hopefully the brothers are in his mind don't win all this. Brother Bourne, can I ask, can a, I ask a, a, a quick question right quick, brother? It's Brother Mayfly. Um, um, I just want the elders, um, you know, his old, you know, his opinion on, on, you know, his information. 1475, the Gutenberg Press. 1491, the Spanish Inquisition. Stop, stop, stop. Wrong dates. 1431, the Gutenberg Printing Press was created by Johannes Gutenberg in 1437 with movable print. Um, and then, uh, 14, what did you say about 1491? What was happening in 1475? That's when they're attributing, uh, a date as well to the Gutenberg print in regards to it being formalized. But 1491, the Spanish, these dates I'm I'm putting together for a context. That's what I was putting together. Okay. 14. Go ahead, 1491, what now? Okay, going off the date you just gave, you corrected me. I'm, I'm going to do 1431, the Gutenberg Press, am I right? No, 37, the Mackerel, right? 1437. 1437. Okay, after that, 1491, my context is setting up for the scientific scientific revolution. Okay, what you got? What is 1491, what you got there? This is when the Spanish Inquisition takes place. No, My question is really... No, 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 stop. Okay. Mankara, these questions that you're asking me can be found in, in the encyclopedia. The Spanish Inquisition. You're talking about 1482 and 83. Under uh, the orders of Ferdinand and Isabella and the Roman Catholic Church, they appointed Thomas de Guatemala to be the Inquisitor General, to run the Moors out of Spain. So go to your encyclopedia and look it up. Right. The, the question I'm asking is regards to what for the, the, how the Gutenberg printing press facilitates the scientific revolution for Europeans. That was my whole question, sir. Well, you got to remember, that was the 15th century. Exactly. In the 15th, see, that was in in um, uh, in fourteen thirty seven when Gutenberg created that printing press removable print. The Renaissance era had began forty one years earlier. So now the the Renaissance era means the age of learning for the Europeans. This is when they first began to get. Uh, colleges and curious and over there in uh, Florence, Italy, and Ferrara, Italy, and so forth and so on. The beginning of the Renaissance era. So therefore, you got uh, uh, Europeans who never knew how to read and write. It's now becoming to an enlightenment and enrolling in these various colleges. So therefore, you need literature to be able to be printed up so they could read and learn how to read from the printed literature. So this is where Gutenberg came in. He invented the printing press in 1437 
for that purpose because if you go back in the 15th century, a lot was happening to and in Europe at that time, you see? So in the 15th century, you had uh, the printing press created by Johannes Gutenberg in 1437. In the 15th century, you had the, the Roman Catholic Church being uh, uh, coming into fruition by building the Vatican in 1445. You had uh, the Renaissance era coming in in 1400. You had um, Leonardo da Vinci uh, creating a, a painting called The Last Supper. You had Leonardo da Vinci, who was commissioned by the Roman Catholic Church at that time to paint this picture, and they attached the story to it, The Last Supper, so forth and so on. And then you had uh, Leonardo da Vinci doing what? Creating uh, a, and drawing a picture of a crucifix, the crucifixion of this Christ. So, and then you also had uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci uh, uh, creating Mary Magdalene and so forth and so on. So then you had in the, in, the, in the 15th century the world's first printed Bible. So it goes on and on and on. So a lot was happening in the 15th century. But I want you, Menkara, you want to be a, a historian. You're going to have to discipline yourself and get some dates in your mind. You have to know dates. I cannot answer your question by saying, well, wait, let me go back and check my notes. I can't do that. It's got to be in my head. i got to walk around with this. How do I get this stuff in my head? I practice this stuff like a musician practices his instrument. You see? In order to be, uh, uh, to sustain yourself as a musician, because when you get up on the stage up there, you can't go back. Well, let me go back to the music book. You can't do that. you got to play. They're going, you, you go up there and say, uh, all the things you are. You got to say, okay, fine. You know the, know, know the melody and, and the song. You got to sing, uh, uh, what is this saying called love? All this, these things you have to know. See? So I want you, and I'm not trying to reprimand you, but I want you to do better than what you've been doing. You see? So therefore, I want you to retain these dates. I keep telling you, the foundation of knowing history is time, people, places, and events, and literature. I want you to get that. But you have to write and take notes. You have access to Walter Williams. You can call me up anytime. Have your paper and pen ready to write and take notes. If you ask me a question, take a note on it. I want you to retain the information that I'm giving you. Don't ask me the same thing over and over and over. 1475, my, 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 my 1475 date was in regards to the first book coming out of and the role that the English had in the scientific revolution. Because we have a lot of, I bring that up because a lot of our people base their knowledge on science. And I bring that up in regard to when Europeans got their scientific revolution after the printing press and then after the first book what in 1475.
15, what, 15, are you dating this? Are you talking about century? 15, no, 1550. 1550 date, right? Scientific revolution. Yes, 15, and, and I'm putting, I'm, the context I'm putting is, I'll, I'll ask you again, after 1475 with the first European book being printed, and then you clarify me with the Gutenberg Press. So the Gutenberg Press is in 1431. You corrected me on that. Oh, okay. 1475. 1431. 1437. Write it down, Mankara. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But I the context I'm saying is I'm not, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to be harsh on you. I love you, and I want you to know this because you can pass it on to other people. You see that? But you have to get the information right. 1437, the Gutenberg Press was created by Johannes Gutenberg. Please write that down. I got it. 1437. Write it down. 1437. I got it. 1437, the Gutenberg Press is printed. 1475, the first book for in Europe and England is printed. 1491, the Spanish Inquisition. Then keep, after that, keep saying 1491 for the Spanish Inquisition. No, 1482 and 1483. This is what they okay. You're correct, but this Columbus sold the blue in 1492, while the Spanish Inquisition took place in 1491. This is what they teach us. Well, they're teaching you wrong, brother Nicara. All you got to do uh, is go to the encyclopedia, and they'll tell you. Look it up. They'll tell you. And then they also say 1435, maybe when Gutenberg printed the press. Uh, 1465, first printed musical appears. 1501 and 1506, Mona Lisa. The, 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 I'm, 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 my dates are off. I, I, I admit that. Hey, I, I, I'm setting up the context for 14, the, the 14th century ending, the scientific revolution, and slavery with the Catholic Church. That was what I was really trying to get. Okay, listen, listen. Mankara, all what you told me, erase all of that stuff and go back and do some more research. Erase all of that. Then go back, step by step, and research everything and all entities containing to what you are saying. Go back and trace that. But have your notebook and paper so you can write things down. And then once you write these things down, they will enter your psyche. And then once they enter your psyche, you can practice those things and put them in your subconscious mind. And you can recall these things from your subconscious mind when it's needed. But you have to be correct with dates. Erase all of that. Okay, my, dates, my, dates, my, dates may be off, my, my, my dates may be off, sir. But the question I'm asking is, at the same time that the Pope endorsed slavery, the scientific revolution for Europeans started. Am I, am I wrong when I say that? I'll tell you, look, listen, I don't want to conversation on this anymore. I want you to go and do all this over again. Okay? Then you can come back and then we can discuss. I can't discuss with you on things with wrong dates and wrong information attached to those dates. I can't do that because I won't be helping you nor will I be helping the listening audience. So let's end our conversation about this area of questioning. Okay, until you go back, put down on paper and find information to the things that you're asking me and come back with different dates and a different time 
and different events. So that's what I have to say to you, my brother Menkara, and I love you. So don't think that I'm being harsh or trying to front you off. No. No, oh, never that, sir. Never that, sir. That's the whole point. Because I'm asking for context. But thank you, sir. Okay. Brother Bond. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, um, we're gonna go to the we're gonna go to the line. We're gonna go to the line. We got uh, we got brother Little. Hold on, we got brother Little out here, and we got our sister Camille. We want to make sure that that our sister get in because we want to keep that balance. We on brother Little, Black Power. Black Power, friendly. Mod Hotel. Yeah, okay, my brother. I was just interested if I could get a quick highlight breakdown of the uh, all the invaders of, uh, of the Mama Land. Of the who? Uh, uh, all the invaders that came that, that came into Africa to ancient Egypt. Uh, all like how how did we really get here till today? I was trying to break down to my uh, little cousin and I couldn't really put it into um, perspective form properly. Well, see, there's no, there was only one invasion in ancient Egypt. That was during the time of Alexander the Greek coming into Egypt in 332 BCE. Now, you get other invasions coming into Egypt, but they, that never happened in human form. You get those invasions coming out of the chronology of ancient Egypt. And like I mentioned before, in my book that's coming out, I have a warning in that book because I'm presenting five different uh, chronologists of ancient Egypt, warning to all African scholars, teachers, intellectuals, and students, do not use the chronology of ancient Egypt because ancient Egyptians never wrote a chronology or a history of themselves. The chronology that is written today and used today was written and created by Western academia using the Bible. So that was only, that's no invasion of ancient Egypt, only one, Alexander the Greek, 332. That's it. I see. All right, Black Power. Well, we're gonna we're gonna go down the line. Uh, let's see here. Black Power, Sister Camille, that's you. All right, the sister got her line on mute. We'll let the other sister come in. Sister McKee, that's you out there? Yes, Black Power. Black Power, you got a question or comment for us? Yes, I do. Uh, it's nice to meet you, um, Dr. Walter Williams. Same here, my dear. All right. Um, the question I had um, in your book, you said that Jacob um, was the first Christian church. But I've heard other people say that the first church was in Ethiopia. No, 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 no. No, uh, the first, world's first Christian church is the Hagia Sophia, commissioned to be built by Justinian and his wife, Theodora, in 532, commissioning African architects to draw the design of that church and to build that church. That church is on the cover of my second book, The Historical Origin of Islam. And on that cover, you'll find the Church of Hagia Sophia. And my wife writes a chapter in the, my Islam book 
on what happened to the Church of Hagia Sophia. So no, uh, the world's first Christian church built on planet Earth, and I write about it in both books, uh, was the Hagia Sophia. Now, with that cleared up, hopefully, we're going to get to Ethiopia. Christianity did not come to Ethiopia until the middle of the 19th century. Not before, but the middle of the 19th century. That's when Christianity first came to Ethiopia. Okay? And um, I, I'm going to be up in Detroit, Michigan, on April the 9th and the 10th at a place called Nandis, and I'm going to be giving a lecture on when, how, and who brought Christianity in Ethiopia. It's going to be uh, one of my lectures there. Um, the, the Church of England in um, 1799 created what is known as the CMS, Church Missionary Society. Ten years later, 1809, they created another missionary society called the CMJ, Church Missionary Judaica Society. You see? And uh, the missionaries was brought into Ethiopia. Let's give you a short overview. I'm getting to the point without elaborating and going into a long dissertation. It was a man by the name of Samuel Gobat. He was an agent for uh, the Church of England. In 1855, they made Lao Gassa, an Ethiopian by the name of Lao Gassa, L-I-J-G-A-S-S-A. They changed his name to Theodore II and made him the first emperor of Ethiopia. In the meantime, uh, the first entry of the missionaries to come into Ethiopia was in 1829, led by Samuel Gobat. Okay? Um, You've got to remember this. Ethiopia was never colonized by anybody or never colonized by Europeans. You see? So now... In 1829, uh, the Church of England sent Samuel Gobat into Ethiopia, and uh, he brought a missionary group in there, but uh, the missionaries did not understand the language of that was being spoken by the Ethiopians. The Ethiopians rejected them, but they enforced their way over there, and they, uh, they stayed over there to learn the culture, learn the geographical land area of Ethiopia, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to, that was in 1829, so I'm going to fast forward to 1855. 1855, like I mentioned, they made Lyle the first emperor of Ethiopia, and changed his name to Theodore II. Samuel Gobat, by that time, was uh, had been made a, Bishop Gobat, 
by the Church of England at that time. And out of courtesy, Samuel Goldback asked uh, the uh, Theodore II, who was the emperor of Ethiopia, made to be the emperor of Ethiopia by the British government. And he asked uh, Theodore II, out of courtesy, is it okay for us to bring missionaries in here to bring Christianity in here? He says, yes, it's okay as long as you don't bring no preachers in here. Okay? So now, that is the very first time when uh, the missionaries out of the Church of England began, after, see, they, they was over there coming into 1829, from 1829 to 1855, they learned the culture, the language, and, 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 and they created uh, Amharic Bibles and so forth and so on over there, you know. So um, uh, that's when Christianity first came to Ethiopia. So that's just a short overview, but it's a lot, 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 lot more history than that, but I don't have the, the time to tell you or give you a uh, lecture on uh, what I'm just got to tell you and what I'm, we're talking about at this moment. My sister. Um. Thank you. Um, the the reason why I ask is because we have, you know, a lot of people, you know, that don't want to let go of Christianity, want to try and make it seem as though the Ethiopians um, were the first to practice Christianity and also the Ethiopian Bible was the first Bible. That's, that's what I'm hearing uh, rumored. Um, but I mean, I didn't know the information that you gave, but I kind of suspected that that wasn't what was correct. Well, that's everything that they told you was historically incorrect. The world's first Christians on planet Earth was our ancestors, the Melkite Coptic Egyptians who, who, who took the image of Ptolemy One and gave that image, Ptolemy One, a name, after making a composite of two of our ancient Egyptian gods, Osiris and Apis, and coming out with the name Osirapis, Osirapis, and giving that name to the Ptolemy, one, Lagi, called Sotra. Now, last month, were you listening to me last month, sister? Um, um, I actually came in late, like when you was getting off. I didn't get a chance. Okay, you should have the brothers to, you have an email? Yes, I do. Have the brothers to email you that program, okay? Uh -huh. And you can hear me. Uh, Brother Bond, can you do that? Um, I, can, I can go back to the archive, um, oh. sir, and I'll be able to find it. Okay, well, you, you download that into your computer so you can have it so you can hear I gave a, a breakdown on how uh, uh, the, the image of, and the icon image of Serapis was changed to the Christ. So that will give you a mm -hmm. breakdown. And the first Christians on planet Earth was our ancestors who created that image that we know today as Jesus Christ from Serapis for the Europeans. This is all done for the Europeans. And they, at the Council of Ephesus, after they created uh 
Christ, after they created the, the, the created creature called the Virgin Mary, after they amalgamated the two created creatures, Serapis and the Virgin Mary, together, the, the Melkite Coptic Egyptian speaking Greek said, now this is the Christos. And in English, the Christos means now this is the Christ. So they became the world's first Christians. That's who became the first Christians, not no Ethiopians. Okay? So, uh, that's what I have to say to you, my sister. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, Brother Bourne, thank you. Brother Bourne, um, my king wanted to uh, ask a question, too. Oh, All right, right, I'll pass it to him. Mm-hmm. All right. Black Power okay. family, how you doing? Black Power, Dr. Walter Williams, how you doing, sir? Fine, yourself. Um, I'm okay, I'm okay. My my hotel. Uh, you. My my question was really piggybacking off of the queen, uh, what she had just asked, because um, I heard you mention that that it didn't come into Ethiopia until until the 19th century. Middle so of, I'm just really. Uh, I'm sorry. The middle of the 19th century. I gave the date 1855 to be exact. 1855. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so um, my whole my whole thing was uh, so that really kind of that really kind of shits on. Uh, the story of uh, Queen uh, McKay and her son uh, Menelik, correct? I mean, this is that, that that pretty much is is untrue. That's correct. Okay, okay. That's all I want to add. I just want to get clarity on that because I didn't, you know, I want to make sure I was hearing that right. But yeah. I appreciate it, bro. Yeah, this is how they set the world up, especially our African community about Christianity into Ethiopia. It gives you the story about uh, the queen of Sheba and her son uh, 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 being born in Ethiopia after she went to visit Solomon, King Solomon. See? So uh, they give you this uh, queen of Sheba story. But see now, you have to think now. It says queen of, of, of Sheba. Now, who... Is the Queen of Sheba. Is her name Dorothy, Helen, Mary, Doris, or what? You see, if I tell you the Queen of Chicago, I got to give you a name. I got to say Helen Smith is the Queen of Chicago. I just can't say it was the Queen of, of Chicago. Who am I talking about? So they don't give you, they say Queen of Sheba. Okay? Uh, uh, and then the, the story goes that she was very beautiful. But she, her feet was like she had uh, calves' hooves, hoofs for a feet. And she, but she was very beautiful. And she took, she heard about the wisdom of Solomon. And so she had a uh, entourage laden with gifts coming from Ethiopia into uh, uh, Judea to uh, to meet uh, this Solomon. And uh, he saw her and fell in love with her, and he had to have her. So they had sex together, long story short, and she left Ethiopia. I'm sorry, she left uh, Jerusalem after uh, having an intercourse with Solomon, and she came back to Ethiopia and had a baby by the name of Menelik. So this is how they, the story they tie all this in, you see. But that's not true. That's not true, historically incorrect, you see. In my lectures, that I will give uh, in Detroit about when, who, and how Christianity came 
to Ethiopia, when, who, and how Tarasha uh, Judaism came to Ethiopia. All that's going to be in, in there. So uh, don't fall for the stories because you've been told a lie, my brother. I say thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, and thank you, my brother. May I hotel to you? May I hotel? All right, thank you very much. You know, there was a uh, brother Tim that was asking a question too. Um, let's see here. We're gonna keep going down the line. I mean, I mean oh, let me see if the sister unmuted the line. Black Power, this is the Camille right here. We're gonna get the brother Rahe Rule. Then North Georgia. Number of Rahe rule. It's Sister K. I'm just listening in. Oh, okay, Sister K. Where are you calling from, my sister? You're calling from out of New York. Oh, okay. Sister K in New York. All right. Let me get Brother Rahe rule line open. Brother Rahe rule. The line is open. What happened to the sister? Now, the sister, um, she, she said she didn't want to ask a question. She said she was just listening. Oh, okay, great, okay. Yeah, so, you know, I just went down, we're going to go down the line. Let's see, we got Georgia. Let me see, let me open up Georgia. Black Power. Come on, Ned. Black African Power. Brother, Uncle, Brother, Ned and Ned. Black African power. Hotep, Hotep family. Hotep Professor uh, Walter Williams. May I ask Hotep, my brother? Put the female in there. Give it cosmic balance. Oh, uh, oh, my bad. I, I ain't uh, know it was a, a female. Listen, listen. So I said Hotep to all the family, though. So she included. So I ain't know she was on that Hotep sister. Send that. Dr. Walter Williams, I don't think he heard what you're saying. He was, he, the, um, I believe Dr. Walter Williams was saying um, uh, the greeting would have balance saying my aunt hotel. He did, I'm, man. Yeah, I did. He did, man. You just didn't understand it. Now, oh, wow. um, uh, all right, family, you got a question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams? You can go first, Ned. Oh, yeah, well, first uh, I just want to run down. Uh, well, I'm a second-level uh, second student of um, Dr. Rakete Amin in the Institute of, of Comedic Theology and Metanetra Translations and Transliterations and, um, and uh, Amaral Squad, a uh, researcher. So uh, I, I, I talked to William, uh, Professor Williams, sir. I, I spoke with you before, and we was getting into the translation of the Medinetia, and you were saying and how it never been deciphered, and how it was uh, a pearly, a pearly pictorial, a pearly pictorial na- uh, language. So, you know, I just just want to know your uh, take on that because you you're using the word hotep, and hotep is actually a translated word. So, if you know the Medinetia haven't been translated, you, you use the word hotep like three times on the show. And also, uh, you uh, stated that the Egyptians had an alphabet, uh, alphabet, the first alphabet or first writing, which is incorrect. But I just want to say that uh, if they had an alphabet, that means that it was translated. 
And a lot of people in the African community is stating that using sourcing your name, Professor Walter Williams' name, for stating that the meta net should never been translated. So I'm let you elaborate because just in a conscious well, the African community, you know, we hearing Walter Williams' name with the meta net should have been never translated, but yet, you know, when uh translators such as myself uh listening listening to some of your shows, you use translated words like hotel. And I just want you to elaborate, you know, why you're using translated words, but yet the men and nature haven't been translated. I want you to elaborate on the alphabetical system. Okay, you keep repeating yourself. You keep repeating yourself. I talked to you before, hadn't I, brother? Oh, uh, no, we ain't really get into... I said, I have talked to you before. Is that correct? Correct, but we didn't get into wait, detail. Wait, I just wait, 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 wait. You said I talked to you before. That was correct, right? Yes, sir. Okay, then stop right there. Okay. Now, okay. you and I had a, a, a long private conversation. No, it wasn't. Okay, That's well, what anyway. Okay, just a moment. Well, I've talked to you before okay. about the same subject. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you about hotel. Yeah. Hotel is a word and not a symbol. <laughs> you get it? No, no, you're incorrect. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Thank you for your call. What are you basing the decipherment of the hieroglyphics on? What's your base? Are the the basis of my new work, uh, I put together a body of work called The Systematic History of Decipherment of the Egyptian Languages. Uh, the African element is the key. And Have you ever heard of the, the sound of an Egyptian language? Uh, of a sir, can I, can I? Huh? Can I can I speak can I speak first? Uh, here's what here's what I'm on. I'm on Cut me off. No 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 no. See you. I've talked to you I was before. About to Hold it. No listen, sir. Listen, I was about to young man. Stop 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 stop. I have talked to you before. Okay. If you're gonna insist, as I've talked to you before, I wrote into my book, The Historical Origin of Christianity, on page 146, why the metanational hieroglyphics has never been deciphered. The new book is coming out. I'm gonna put an extension on to why the metanational hieroglyphics has never been deciphered. I'm gonna tell you about the Reba system and so forth and so on. So now, if you think that the hieroglyphics have been deciphered, fine. Take that to your your group or wherever you want to teach this to. But don't bring it to me. See, because you, you, there's no way that you can convince me. There's no way I can convince you. So let's end our conversation. Thank you so much for the call, and may I hold tap to you, my brother. Brother Vaughn? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I had to mute the brother because I didn't think he was going to be quiet long enough for you to be able to expound on what you were saying. And, you know, um, I thought that you asked him an a excellent question, though, which was what would, what would be his base for the decipherment? But, um, but because of how that, how that went, you know, um, I know they had another brother on the line. So if the other brother wanted to ask the question, we'll allow you to ask the question. Like, he, he just disrespected. Just uh, yeah, man, y'all kind of, all right, man, y'all kind of cut him off on his answer. He was trying to, get, he was trying to get to that point, but that's okay. Let's talk about King Nazana for a minute. Stop. Let's oh, talk oh, about oh, Prometheus. Oh, oh. Let's yeah, talk man. about Prometheus yeah, and Christianity. Stop for a moment, please. 
I'm I'm changing the question, sir. Okay, listen I'm, I'm to me. I'm going to give you a chance to talk. But you sure. you called in defense of this of this previous caller. I have talked to him before. No, you talked to me. Listen to what I'm saying, please, without interruption. I have talked to the young man before. I have given him mm-hmm. all the reasons why the metanatural hieroglyphs has never been You decided. did not, sir. I, I did I, not. Okay, okay. What you say? Yeah, I'm saying, Walter, uh, uh, bro, uh, Brother Walter, you talked to Brother Unc. You didn't talk to none of that like that. You <laughs> probably had a brief. You got it mixed up. That's all, sir. When you heard Brother Unc and then Nab, you probably thought he, uh, I was the one talking, but he was. Brother Nab was talking. You didn't. You, you had a conversation with me. I mean, you that's had a an conversation on the phone. Yes, sir. And you, was believe, you, brother. You, you believe that the hieroglyphs has been deciphered. Is that what you believe? Oh, no, I don't believe it. I know it to be true based off of... Uh, now, since, hold it, uh, since hold, it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I don't want... I've been over this. I've written down why. And I, and now, I know me and you was cool with it. I didn't ask hold you. Hold it, hold it, sir. Hold it before you go on. i tell you what you do and all the rest of you hieroglyphic thinking uh, persons who <laughs> deciphered. I want you to do what I did. Put down on paper why you think that how Griffith has been deciphered. Can you do that? Can yes, you sir. do what I asked you? Yeah. We already did. Yeah, we, we got Where? The book, sir. Where is it at? Book. I'll send you a copy of the book. Oh, oh I see. Okay. Do that. I'll send you a copy I, of the book. I'm on, listen, you're talking to the wrong person. I know. That's why I wanted oh. to get you to Christianity. I was off of that. Okay, I'm okay. not trying to convince you of anything, sir. Okay, I mean, you know what you know, we know what we know, and it's all good. Okay. Like you said, no, we don't know everything. Only a fool knows everything. I don't know everything so, either. So we get that. That's okay, cool. Now, so I just want to talk about, I want to talk about Fementius and how Fementius, Fementius, it's a Greek trader, Syrian what? Greek, what and year? Christianity to Ethiopia. What year? Oh, uh, we talked about, let me get the exact date for you. I'm looking at about probably three. Oh, shake your hand with me to talk. Oh, go ahead, sir. Brother Unk. I'm looking at about three. Hold on. Point yourself, Brother Unk. No, let him go ahead with me. No, hold on, listen. You have to have the, no, let the go, background. Let me, be quiet. Brother Unk, please don't let him go on with the date. Give me the date, my brother. Hello, are you there? Hello? You hear me? I hear yeah. you. Okay, yeah. Uh, did, 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 I gave you the day, sir. What day did you give me? Give it back to me again. Uh, I said we're looking at King of Zana between 330 and 360. And, and what happened in Wait, what happened in 330 and 360? Give me the story, too. Between 330 and 360. And what happened? Uh, we, we know for a fact that Fermentius, the great trader, was doing 330 and 360. Uh, around, I said that's the death. Sir. They, they, I said that is that is when King Azana King Azana is born. What happened right? with this King Azana? What happened? Give me the story. Now I'm telling you that Cementius, a Syrian trader, a Greek Syrian trader. What year? What year? I told you, sir. I just said it. What year? Okay. Well, what happened with this trader? Comes in, right, and he brings comes in where? Comes in where? In Aksum. He comes in and he brings Christianity to King Mazana. 
Okay, so stop. Stop, 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 stop. Am I wrong in that? Stop, sir, sir, stop. No, are you listening to me, though, sir? I'm listening to you. I want you to stop. But you can't stop me in the middle of what I'm saying. Then I'll be quiet. I have to. Oh, go ahead, In the the 3rd century or the the 4th century, there was no religion on planet Earth called Christianity. Or no religion on Earth, no man-made religion, period. None. So what you're telling me and what you're uh, uh, telling the listening audience is historically incorrect. No, That's 316, so Corinthians comes in at 316. And I am telling you that Ethiopia is the second largest You have some followers that believe all this stuff that you're telling Go to them. Don't bring that to me. Well, it's, in your, it's in the psychopathy you said. The I don't care what it is. Don't bring that to me. Please don't. Go to your followers out there, wherever these people following you, and you tell them that. Don't bring it to Walter Williams. Don't do that. So basically what you're saying, Christianity wasn't in Ethiopia, and Ethiopia isn't the second oldest Christian nation. That's, you, that's Dr. Ben said that. I don't care what Dr. Dr. Ben, ben said. said that. So, okay. My mother said that was incorrect, too, and I love her, and I love Dr. Which, Ben. I, I know. What's your source that Prometheus wasn't in there? What's your source? Give me your source. I just got you telling you. I'm Christianity was source? no place on planet Earth. No religion was on planet Earth during the, during the, during the uh, 300s or the 4th century. That's all I'm saying. Well, how about Roman records? What Roman exactly records? Roman Romans, records when they talk Romans, about. Romans didn't have an alphabet to write with until they met the ancient Egyptians. They got the Latin alphabet. Well, I just got you telling me how they got it. And I know how they got it, but you can't say they got it because you don't think that the alphabet is a symbol. So we really can't even talk about that. Dr. Walter Williams, oh, because you refuse to think that the meta nature has been translated based off the alphabet. Why are you calling me up and telling me this stuff? Why don't you get to your followers who believe what you're saying? I'm, I'm you? not dealing with the belief. You say you told me I'm looking at encyclopedia, so I'm giving you encyclopedia information. I'm not saying you're wrong about everything. Minkara, I know exactly what I'm talking about because we had a, a previous conversation earlier this week, and we talked about... The, the the things that he talked and asked me the questions today, okay. So okay. he know exactly what I'm saying. I don't want to argue with you. Do you understand no. that? I have no yes, time sir. for that. You go around people that you, that believes what you're saying. I don't. It's historically incorrect. No, but I'm not trying to get you believe me, sir. I don't want to have a further <laughs> conversation with you. I'm saying, but the, the young lady called, the young brother asked about the Christianity, and then y'all went into um, Solomon. That had nothing to do with the Christianity. And so we're talking 325. You got the Nicene Council with 325. Yeah, will you please hang up? Because I All right, I'm done, sir. I don't want to disrespect. I'm done. Thank you I'm so done. much for your call. May I accept you, you, my brother? Black African power. I'm a brother. Go on, go to the next caller. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm on the way. All right, we got we got Texas out there. We're gonna open up Texas line. Black Power, BB48, my hotel, Texas. I see you out there. You got a question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams? All right, we got Texas just listening. We got other family out there in South Texas. 
my hotel. Welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio with Dr. Walter Williams. Question or comment? We got a lot of listeners tonight. Um, they listening in. They just they just came to get some to get some information. You got to ask a question in order to get some good information. All right, Sister Cass out here. Black Power, you got a question or comment for Dr. Walter Williams? Brother Mikarai, did you have another question? Before I, I'll get back into some of the questions that I had also. But did you have another question? Uh, yes, question. Yes, yes, I did. Uh, what role did the church play in um, the role of the slave trade in the Atlantic uh, Ocean? There's only one church, and that was the Roman Catholic Church. They played a big role in the instigation of slavery because you got to remember, when that seat moved out of northeast Africa, out of the double-walled city of Constantinople, out of the world's first Christian church, the Hagia Sophia, and it was transferred by John VIII, in 1439, going to the Curia in Florence, Italy, and relinquishing the donation of Constantine. And that paved the way for the seat of Christianity to be moved into uh, Europe. Six years after he did that, in 1445, Eugenius IV and Nicholas V, over the catacombs on the outskirts of Rome, they dug up a lot of dead bodies to make way for the building of St. Peter's Church in 1445. And uh, from that seat of Christianity, which is now in Europe, the Spanish uh, government under Ferdinand and Isabella uh, embraced Catholicism, okay, and uh, with the embracing of Catholicism, uh, they had to get rid of the Moors. You know, when Europeans get what they want from you, they discard you. Okay? And um, they had gotten what they wanted from those African Moors. What they got from the African Moors is literacy coming to Spain, which is uh, literacy it's the first form of civilization. A person has to be literate to be civilized. You're able to read, write, and spell. They set that up over in Spain. The Moors did, and they set up the government of Spain, and they also began to build buildings over there in Spain uh, and, and cities over there, Toledo, Granada, uh, Seville, Cadillac, etc., etc., etc. And uh, so when the seed of Christianity moved over there, uh, the Spanish uh, rulers under Ferdinand and Isabella embraced Roman Catholic Catholicism. And uh, 
uh, they set up in 1482 and 83 a Spanish Inquisition, uh, and they appointed Thomas D. Guatemala as being the Inquisitor General of the Spanish Inquisition. He was also the Roman uh, Inquisition, also meaning the Roman Inquisition, meaning referring to the Roman Catholic Church. He was also the Inquisitor General for the Roman Catholic Church and the country of Spain. So the Spanish and the Roman Catholic Church teamed up, and they began to leave Spain. And, and you see uh, all these Spanish-speaking places where they've been. They went into Mexico. They went into Puerto Rico, Nicaragua. They went into uh, 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 different places where you see today where people are speaking Spanish, and you also will see uh, these same people speaking Spanish. They are, uh, they are, they are, they are Roman Catholics, and the Roman Catholic churches are over there, you see? So they're the ones that help facilitate and create slavery. And that would be my answer to you. They're the first ones to do that. Brother Minkara? Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. And um, could I get away with saying this, sir? Could I get away with saying this? The issue or the politics that surround the Middle East now are centered around the dismantlement of the Ottoman Empire after World War One. Yeah, because you see the Ottoman Empire uh, was toppled by the British government in World War One. World War One was nineteen fourteen to nineteen eighteen. And they toppled that government. Uh, uh, so therefore, everything after that, you see evidence today as we speak. So that would be my answer to you, and you're absolutely right for thinking that. And I only bring that up because I keep getting my date wrong on the Gutenberg printing press in 1437. Yes, write it down. Yes, sir. And I only use that because when I read your book and I seen that, I said, that's it. The Jew or Jewry runs literature, and I always remember the lecture that Dr. Clark, that Dr. Clark had when he talked about the Jewish academic mafia. Do you feel that there's a Jewish academic mafia out there, Brother uh, uh, Walter Williams? Well, you see, put it like this. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what Doctor Bent meant by that because I, I, you know, I mean, Doctor Clark, Doctor Clark. Doctor, Clark, I don't know what Doctor Clark meant by that. I would have to ask him, and he would have to explain to me what he meant. But I can't do this. He's deceased. But you got to remember this, Brother Nicaragua. The school systems, let's say in America, and throughout, let's say the school system in America and other places in Europe are financed by the banks, 
controlled by Jews. You see? They, they loan money to the school system to uh, maintain the school system. And they use and they sell them bonds. That's in the in bonds. That's how they get their money, and, and lend money to the school system. So uh, you have to have a certain rating uh, to get uh, money from uh, these bankers and banks and so forth and so on, which is controlled by Jews. So that would be the only entity that I could show you. I'll tell you that the, how uh, the control of the school system being controlled by uh, the banking system created by the Jews or the Lombards, so forth and so on. So that would be my answer to you. Thank you, sir. I know it's getting late. So I'll pass it, and uh, you know, so you can catch up on some rest and so forth. So, brother, go ahead. Bob, if, if possible, can I got two more callers that that got questions, and one, and if possible, could you answer two more questions? Okay, go ahead. All right. Hold on, just make sure that it's the it's the right caller. They just they was texting me and everything. I was black power. Is this brother brother Bernal? Black Power. Black Power. Black Power. Uh, greetings, Brother Walter Williams. It's uh, definitely an honor to, to hear and uh, from you and speak with you. Uh, I purchased your book, uh, Historical Origins of Christianity. Uh, excuse me if I misworded mis- uh, the title of the book. It's been such a long time. However, I, I, I do own the book, and it was very informational, and it helped greatly in widening my uh, scope of, of knowledge. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, my question is, is well, actually, I have, it's somewhat of a comment question. Uh, I've been doing uh, some research and studying, but my question really lies around the idea, the concept of slavery and America. And I, I would first like to ask you a question. Do, do you, in your, uh, in your uh, knowledge, do you would you say that all Americans or Black Americans, Afro Americans, who are here in this country, would you say that we all derive from West Africa, meaning we all made that our our our, our uh, great grandparents, great great grandparents, and grandmothers were the ones who made that journey over here on, on slave ships? Would you say that? No, no, no yeah. because that's tradition. They want you to to take your mind and your thinking to West Africa, Ghana, and so forth and so on. They want you to do that in order to keep you away from ancient Egypt. Okay. See, they don't want you there. They taught us away from that on purpose in the school system. They gave me a book when I was going to grammar school right here in Chicago, a book on little black sambo. You see? Okay. To take to take me away. Yes. What was that? Well, the background noise. Okay. Oh, let me mute my. Anyway, uh, no, uh, they, 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 they teach you away from that. They don't want you uh, connected uh, with ancient Egypt. 
okay? And our scholars, don't, they help Western academia to keep us away from ancient Egypt by using the word Kemet, like I mentioned before on the show last month. So uh, it's ancient Egypt. Once you claim and identify yourselves as an African ancient Egyptian, which distinguish you from those Arabs over there living in Egypt and saying that they are Egyptians. But their ancestors did not build the Great Pyramid. Their ancestors did not bring forth civilization to all of mankind. Our ancestors, our African ancestors did that. And they, the, the white power structure, don't want us there, okay, mentally or spiritually or by knowledge. They don't want you there because once you claim your ancestry as being the ancient Egyptians, white supremacy falls flat on its face. It's over with. Over with. They keep you in these churches today. The icon, the image, and the symbol of white supremacy is institutionalized in all Christian churches throughout America and throughout the world. That image, that white image, that dead white man on the cross, symbolizes white supremacy. Because what happens when our African uh, people in the African community go into these various churches and worship this dead white man on the cross, and they are telling this white man that they love him, that he is their God and Savior. Okay, so you're supporting white supremacy, you're supporting white superiority, and you're supporting black and African inferiority when you do that. Do you think, the question has to be asked to all Christians, do you think, Christians, that the white race will take their children and their family into a church where a big black African uh, Jesus is hanging on the wall and teach their children and their family that that African uh, Jesus is their God and Savior? I'll give you the answer. Hell no. They will not do that. So why are we as a people doing that? The next question for Christians, what is the name of your African God? Do you have one? I get many puzzled looks on faces of Christians when I ask them that because they don't have no answer for that. See? So um, that would be uh, some of the uh, answers that I will give you at this very moment. Uh, yes, sir. And also, well, see, what, what I, to add to that, I've been also researching that it's possible that a lot, many of our ancestors made the journey through to the to to the Americas, through by way of Madagascar, uh, VI in, Indonesia and the South Asian Pacific, and uh, those islands, Fiji Islands to Hawaii, then the West Coast or Alaska down to through the West Coast, uh, entering into this country. Would you? How would you say we traveled here if we all didn't come here by slave ship? Okay, well put it like this. Uh, Moors, was, when they was kicked out of Spain by the Spanish government on the Isabella, came over in this hemisphere, the Americas, with uh, Christopher Columbus. Okay? Now, uh, I'm not trying to refute what you are saying about this 
slave ships and so forth and so on, okay? But I'm going to bring you to an area of understanding, and then you can use this as your base understanding, and then it'll spread to what you already know and what you're telling me now. Uh, it was the Moors who came over here with Christopher Columbus. The Moors, those African Moors, brought civilization to Spain. So now they're over here in this hemisphere. They're free men and free women. Uh, during the time of slavery, uh, slavery began in this hemisphere in 1619. That's the traditional date. Uh, all Africans living in America were not enslaved. You had 380,000 free Africans living here during the time of slavery. You see the movie called 12 Years a Slave. That will attest to that. That brother lived in New York. He was a free man. He had a wife and two children. They, they lived uh, in houses and so forth and so on. But they met, uh, he met up with these two white men in a meeting, and they drugged him. And the next thing you know, he was on a slave plantation in the South. Did you see that movie? My brother? Yes, sir. I, I, yes, sir. I absolutely saw that. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, now, uh, how do you uh, get rid of the Moors? Now, the Ferdinand and Isabella got rid of them out of Spain. Now they're over in the Americas. They're setting up a third civilization. The first civilization was set up by their ancestors. The, the name Moor is a nickname, meaning an, an African coming out of the North African countries of Morocco and Mauritania, Tanya, uh, crossing the Mediterranean, going to Spain to set up a civilization there. Okay? Who are the Moors? The Moors are direct descendants of the ancient Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians brought civilization to all of mankind. They created mathematics in order to build the Great Pyramid and all the other buildings that, you, uh, that, that was built in ancient Egypt during the time of antiquity. Okay, so now here you got the Moors, uh, the, the direct descendants of the ancient Egyptians in Spain, 432 years living over there, bringing civilization to Spain. Now you got them over in this hemisphere doing the same thing. Benjamin Banneker was a Moor. Okay, he set up uh, Washington, D.C. Okay, he was a clockmaker. Okay, he was an astronomer and so forth and so on. Okay, so now here you have these Moors over here in America, free, doing the same thing, setting up civilization. They, they built the uh, President's Palace, they built the White House, and they built many, many other buildings all over America, these Moors here. Okay, how do you get rid of them? So when in 1619, when the Spanish and the Portuguese went into Africa, these countries where you're talking about, now this is the way what your knowledge comes in about what you were telling me about different places where they, they came out of and got these human beings to be brought into slavery over in this country. They took these enslaved humans who are Africans and they put them all under one umbrella with the Moors. The Moors and these enslaved Africans, they are all Africans, so they look alike to Right. You see that? Now, this yes, is the uh, The Spanish, uh, Spanish uh, call the Moors in Spain black Moors. Right. 
Okay? Now, the word black is synonymous synonymous with uh, Negro. Negro and black means the same thing. Is that correct? Yes. Okay? So now, here you have the the enslaved African under one umbrella. That's how they get rid of the the Moors out of of America now. They put them under one umbrella. And then the, the Spanish said, these are all Negroes. Right, right. You got that? Yes, sir. And, and to add to add to what you're sharing, uh, uh, God had a powerful thought that this look. However, uh, you can see it because, uh, and I was watching a documentary, uh, nineteen, uh, um, excuse me, fourteen ninety two, or fourteen, and they were speaking about the, the 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 decline of the Moors and the ouster, and it shows that they had a blood uh, feud with uh, these Moors. To the point they did not want not only uh, uh, exterminate them or rid them from Spain, but they also want to exterminate exterminate all more. Which brought me to the thought that this ongoing attack that you see happening with black people today is a is a, a ongoing of this feud or this war that Europeans have with the Moor. What, what would you say to that idea? Say that you're correct, and also remember. Along with what you just got to telling me, they want to keep us away from ancient Egypt. That's that's the play. That's the game. They don't want you there. Because once you claim your ancestors as being the ancient Egyptian, the the European uh, white supremacy is dead. They become inferior to us. Because there's no race of people on planet Earth that can equal the civilization and the achievements that was created in that civilization by African ancestors with their ancestors. No, no other race can say, my ancestors did this and did that, greater than the ancient Egyptians. You see? And, that? yes. That's and the I'm, reason why. Yes. So what you're saying, uh, I absolutely agree with. And I just want you to add the things that I've told you tonight. Right. I, I just want to make one comment, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to relinquish the line. However, to uh, to piggyback off what you're saying, as far as those Africans from West Africa being brought here, and then uh, those Americans or those Moors were all been being lumped in under one category. And what I see and, and what what studying has shown me is that. When you take this black man, he's coming out of sla- he's coming out of this this period of slavery and this uh this great or this this deep oppression in this country, and now he's awakening. And the first thing that he's getting to reconnect with his past, he's getting Africa. So in our in our joy and in our desire to want to reconnect with our past, we have embraced Africa. And you know where we you you hear it in our music. Well, I'm black and I'm proud. We adopt the flag, the, the red, the black, the green. However, what I'm seeing it at is that what it, what it has done is it somewhat, instead of freeing us or giving us a liberation and knowing who we are, it some, somewhat put us in a pigeonhole or put us in a box because we are, you have the, the majority of the black Americans in this country, they will tell you if they don't, if they haven't done their research or if they haven't done any, uh, their family tree hasn't been kept in line, they're going to tell you they come from Africa or they, or they would assess, or, uh, suspect or assume 
that they're from, they derive from those who came here from slave ships. And what I'm starting to see is that we're, there's a whole broader picture here. We got to realize that not all of our people came here on slave ships. You got to ask yourself, who gave these Caucasians the knowledge to sell ships? And then if, if that many slaves or Africans were brought here on slave ships, where are these slave ships? We know that the white man, he likes to keep records. And he, likes to, he likes to brag about his, co- his co- accomplishments, or he likes to keep historical uh, monuments so that his, his grandchildren can view them down the line. However, you can't find one slave ship in a museum. I, I looked online, and I, I see they like, they, like to, um, they like to, what they'll do is they'll re, break a remodel. They'll remodel a slave ship. So uh, I'm, in closing, I'm simply to say that it, what, you're saying, what you're sharing is really broadening my scope, and I think it's time that we open up this debate, the debate of are we all Africans, because I don't see anyone pump Africa up more than us here in America. The African and African, I, I can't find, I haven't heard of one who's teaching about Africa, African kings, the glory of Africa. Uh, when you look at us as a people, we're made different. Our genetics are different. Our limbs are different. How we shape are different. Uh, how we move, how we dance. Everything about us is different. However, you have this black man here. He's so in love with Africa because of what, what has been done to him uh, under the oppression of this Caucasian here in America. And so I think it's time that we open up that debate and we look, we look at, we take another look at history because. This white man, he's changing history all the time to fit, uh, to suit him. And it's, I think it's time for us, we have to start looking at history and rewriting our history and putting it in its correct form and its correct terms. That's all I have to say. And thank you very much for the no, white stay, stay on the line for a moment there, young man. Stay on the line. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm going to hang up. I'm going to be on. Okay, I want you to listen. Um, uh, what you're saying is true. I agree to what you're saying. Do not individualize us Africans living in North America. Don't individualize. Okay. That's where the weakness comes and the confusion comes. Oh, I, uh, my ancestors came from Ghana. My ancestors came from uh, Nigeria. My ancestors did this. My ancestors, and, and see, that's, but here's what we have to do. Listen. We, as 44 million of us Africans living in the United States of America, we have to unify around ancient Egypt. All right. That's All right. where our glory and our strength is lying unclaimed in the continent of Africa. Okay? This is how you broke the school system that taught us away from ancient Egypt. They gave me a book, Little Black Sambo, that was supposed to be my history when I was a boy in grammar school in Chicago. Do you understand? But you don't individualize it. You take 44 million people and say, we are all descendants of the greatest people on planet Earth. Absolutely. Brought civilization to all of humanity. That includes the European, uh, the Mexican, the Indians of India, the Chinese, everybody, okay? We are the top dog in all uh, race identity. 
because our ancestors left us an immortal legacy to claim that. But we have been taught away from that. So don't scatter that. Don't say, uh, I'm over here and I'm over there. I come from there. And there. That's confusion. You all of us, 44 million, unify around ancient Egypt. Because all you got to do is say, my ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, brought literacy and the world's first alphabet and literacy to the planet called Earth and all of humanity that's living on planet Earth. My ancestors created all uh, uh, phases of, uh, of, of mathematics in order to build that great pyramid and the Sphinx and so forth and so on. Okay? So uh, we have to claim that. That's our greatness. That's unclaimed. This is what the Western academia has taught us away from. They don't want you there. They don't want you to be a, a Negro because you don't understand why they want you to be a Negro. That, that name Negro is to uh, erase uh, the Moors out of history, to continue to erase the Moors out of history. You see, after the Moors came out of Spain over here. So they got to get rid of that connection. And, and they call you a Negro. They call the, the Moors over in Spain a Negro, too. Call it, they call them Black or Moor, or the Black Moors, or the Negro Moors. Same thing. But then they, 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 they put another history to the word Negro. Because now Negro today equals one who has been enslaved in America. The ancestors has been enslaved in America. So don't let them uh, divide us like that. We all are descendants, all Africans are descendants of the ancient Egyptians. Don't say you came from here and I came from there and this other person came from there. That's weakness. Strength, yes. unify around ancient Egypt. That's what you do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. Okay, so remember, uh, uh, the things that you have tonight, and I nah. will... I want you to take the information that I gave you. I hope it helped you and uh, incorporate with what you already know and just put it together. And the picture will fall out right in your face. Yes, sir. All right. Well, thank you very much. I'll hold up to you, my brother. And these chairs. All right. Well, Black Power, Black, Black Power, we thank you for the brother right there for that for that last question. Um, Dr. Walter Williams, we, we you know, um, I had a, I had one more caller, but, you know, I don't want to keep you on the line too long, so I, I thank all the callers for coming out. And, what is know, his but, last caller? What does he want to know? Um, all right, let me see. Brother Dondre. Yeah, I'm here. So you have one last question for, for uh, Dr. Walter Williams. He's he ready for it. Yeah, I just wanted um, Dr. Williams to clear up um, some of the confusion that I heard with um, a caller two ago with the caller trying to engage in when did Christianity actually enter Ethiopia. With him bringing up the Nicene Council, I think I felt that there was just adding a, a bunch of confusion to the listeners. So I would like 
if you could clear that up, when did Christianity actually enter Ethiopia? Uh, I've I, I talked about that. Uh, the, the missionaries coming out of the Church of England, the Church of England in 1799, had created... Uh, a missionary society called the CMS, Church Missionary Society. And then 10 years later, in 1809, they created the CMJ, uh, Church Missionary Judaica Society. Okay? So uh, the, the first missionaries that came out of uh, the Church of England into Ethiopia was 1829, led by a man by the name of Samuel Goldbath. They couldn't make headways over there because the Ethiopians rejected them, but they insisted on staying there. They forced their way over there, and they kept living there in order to learn the customs of the Ethiopians and the land, uh, geographical land area of Ethiopia, okay? So I'm giving you a, a short overview. I'm going to give a lecture on this um, in Detroit uh, April the 9th and, uh, and 10th. But anyway, um, in 1855, after uh, taking an a Ethiopian by the name of Lyle Gassa, L-I-J-G-A-S-S-A, and made him the emperor of Ethiopia in 1855, changed his name to Theodore II, okay? And uh, Samuel Gobat at that time was now a, uh, was now a bishop, Gobat, and so forth and so on. So he asked, uh, uh, our courtesy asked Theodore II, can I bring... Uh, uh, Christianity into Ethiopia by way of the missionaries. He says, yes, you can do that, but don't bring no preachers over here. See? So anyway, um, that's a long story short. Then um, uh, five years later, the CMJ, the Church Missionary Judaica Society, began to bring Messianic Judaism into Ethiopia. Uh, in 1860, uh, they sent a, a man by the name of Henry Aaron Stern over there, and he went among the Gala tribe, G-A-Y-L-E, tribe in Ethiopia. That Gala tribe today is known as the Falashas, and he introduced, against the will of the Gala uh, tribe, a form of Messianic Judaism. They fought him tooth and nail. They didn't want that. But anyway, a long story short, um, uh, in 1860 at that time, uh, the, I, the AIU had been formed in Paris, France. Alliance Israelite Universal of Paris, France had been formed, which is a society created by Jews uh, to set up schools in various places uh, in North Africa, which they did, and in Northeast Africa, which they did. And uh, they sent, seven, uh, in 1867, the AIU sent a man by the name of Joseph Halevi over there to go among uh, what we know today as the Falashas to bring further information about Judaism and so forth and so on. So uh, without going through my lecture or giving you more information. I gave you a short overview um, to understand what went on in Ethiopia. So now that's what I have to say about that. Hello? Hey, Brother Donovan. 
Thank you very much, Dr. Williams. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, my brother. All right. Well, that's our, that's our last caller tonight. You know, we thank everybody for coming out tonight. We thank Dr. Walter Williams for coming out tonight to see on the ground radio for the House Saturday, where, you know, as Brother Minkara was playing earlier, our theme is Who Spills the Train to African Revolution. Doc killed a lot of misnomers tonight. You know, things that were, uh, you know, what we wanted him to do and what he's here to do. Give us that proper history, put it, you know, put that order down properly. Give us these uh, dates, times, places, and events. You know what I mean? So you'll know exactly what's going on out here. So uh, with that being said, Dr. Wilson Williams, just please let everybody know where they can get any of your information at, what other venues you'll be at later uh, coming up. And we'll close out the show on that note. Okay. Uh, on March, this month, March the 26th, I will be in St. Louis, Missouri. I have a lecture there and a, and a workshop I'm going to present there uh St. Louis on March the 26th. A uh, week or so, week uh, after that, week or so after that, I'm going to be in Detroit, April the ninth and the and the tenth, where I'm going to uh, give a two day lecture series and a workshop, and my wife is going to uh, give a lecture on health tips, how to stay healthy, and so forth and so on. Uh, so we, those are my two dates that's coming up. Now, if individuals want to contact me. You can contact me through email, ancientegyptian at msn.com, ancient, A-N-C-I-E-N-T-E-G-Y-P-T-I-A-N, Egyptian, at msn.com. When you email me, Put your phone number there, and I'll get back to you, and we can further our conversation. Another thing I want to say to the listening audience, when you, anytime an individual listening in the listening audience, if you want to debate me, I don't debate. I don't have time for that. I'm a teacher, okay? I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything, okay? So therefore, I am a teacher. I came to the listening audience on this program to bring information to our African community, to try to clear up all the misnomers and the mythology and uh, the misunderstandings that is uh, dominating our African community, the minds of the, our African community. I want to set the record straight. And how do you do that? You identify what they're talking about. And if you find it wrong, Walter Williams, then you put what, what's right in its place. Don't say, well, this is wrong and that's wrong, but you have to put what's right in its place historically. Okay? So, therefore, I cannot allow you to come on this program or no program where I'm on 
to try to debate me on what you think uh, is the right truth that you're trying to dispel what I'm saying, okay? So therefore, what I'm saying to you, please don't come on this program, no program where I am on, to try to debate me, okay? I can't convince you, and you can't convince me. So why waste all that energy to do that, okay? Go around your little peers, and you all talk your talk together, and you all, uh, you know, exchange information, whatever you want to do, but don't bring that to me. Please don't do that. You added confusion on top of confusion. Don't do that. I'm trying to uh, unravel all the confusion, okay? I'm trying to unravel all of the confusion out here. So, therefore, I cannot uh, be brought uh, confusion because I'm trying to unravel the confusion that's already out here. So that's what I have to say to our listening audience. I love you. I respect everybody. And I want you to grow. I want us to grow. We have to grow as a people. In order to grow, you have to have information to grow. You got to have new information in order to grow. I heard uh, Reverend Al Shopton said something very profound one day. He said, if a person who does not want to know or hear something new, that person is a person that does not want to grow. And that's true. If you don't want to hear something new, there's no way you can grow. Okay? But don't bring me something that <laughs> that I have researched many years ago and found that it's not true. But I have something else to put in this place to make it true or to give you the true facts. Facts are stronger than argument, more profound than reasoning, more dependable than opinions, Facts silences dispute, supersedes predictions, and facts always end the argument unless you're talking to an individual who does not want to know the facts. So we have to look for the facts and the truth, and we have to keep uh, our dates uh, correct in order to, uh, with these dates, you can assess what went on in human history by knowing the dates and the times that different stories and different people come up to bring you different stories. So with that, my brothers, I'm going to say good night, that I love you, and all you sisters out there, uh, I want to say me'ahat to you, which is peace and, 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 and love. Uh, and wisdom, justice, and I want to say I love you both, you men and you women out there. So I'm going to say Mayot Hotep to you, and uh, maybe next time we have another session of learning without any interference, okay? So... Uh, again, Brother Bourne, again, Brother Mankara, thank you for having me on as your guest tonight. I have a ball. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Brother Mankara, I know you want to close out with, with a couple words to um, 
to to Dr. Walter Williams, Barbara Dr. Walter Williams. I just want to say thank you for coming out and, um, you know, get your facts straight because two problems in the African community is misinformation and confusion. And anyone who promotes both is dangerous, like Pa. Oh. All right, well, my hotel, uh, and thank everybody for coming out tonight again to Feet on the Ground Radio. We like to um, go out the same way that we come in, and that's with praises to the elders, and that's praise Nat Turner, glory to Garvey, long live the spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul-Muhammad, praise Harriet Tubman, glory to Ida B. Wells, and long live the spirit of Sister Fannie Lou Hamer. A beautiful And uh, they took over uh, from that point, you see. So... Uh, I repudiate that because I know where it's coming from. So, therefore, there's no Persians. The Persians is uh, supposed to be uh, written by one Herodotus, who has supposed to have written what is known as the Persian Wars. This is where you're getting it. Uh, uh, Darius one, Darius two, extra exes, and uh, Queen Esther, the Jewish queen, and so forth and so on. So, all that's part of uh, that uh, the Persian myth. And the third chapter in my book, I'm writing uh, the repudiation of the Persian biblical myth and so forth and so on. So now, uh, why do I say all of this, what I just got to saying? It's because of one Herodotus. That's never been a Herodotus. There's never been a Socrates, a Plato, an Aristotle, a Herodotus, a Euripides, or a Homer, or a Hippocrates, or Solon. None of those names ever existed. Why? Because uh, you've got to remember when Alexander the Greek came into Egypt, the Greeks never had an alphabet. Europeans never had an alphabet. So therefore, the Europeans never had an institution. In order to have an institution, you have to have an alphabet, okay? And like I told you before, uh, literacy only has been in Europe for 619 years with this year, 2016. So therefore, prior to that, Europeans had no literature because they didn't have an alphabet. How did the Europeans get an alphabet? How did the Greeks get an alphabet? When they, Alexander the Greek, coming in in 332, which is the 4th century. Uh, he forced the Greek language on our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, by them being a literate people, by them creating the world's first uh, alphabet and being the first literate people on planet Earth. They learned that Greek language and they applied an alphabet to the Greek language. So the Greeks never had an alphabet, but it was the Greek language that an alphabet was applied to by our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians. So now, with that alphabet uh, came the Greek alphabet. So therefore, uh, uh, the question has to be asked, if an individual uh, it's going to insist that there was a Socrates who was supposed to have been born in the 6th century, died in the 5th century, who was supposed to have been a teacher of Plato. Plato was born in the 5th century, died in the 4th century, supposed to be the teacher of Aristotle. Aristotle was born in the 4th century and died in the 3rd century, supposed to have been a teacher of Alexander the Greek. And then there was Herodotus in the 5th century, 
Okay, it's supposed to be the father of uh, uh, history for the Europeans. Uh, it's supposed to have been uh, Euripides who wrote Greek tragedies, fifth century, a character. And then you had Homer, uh, which was the ninth century or 800 uh, B.C. character. So it's supposed to have written the Iliad and the Odyssey. And then you had Hippocrates, who's supposed to be the father of medicine, fifth century. So therefore, all of these names I just called supposed to have used uh, an alphabet to write with prior to Alexander the Greek coming to Egypt. So Walter Williams asked the question, if an individual wants to insist that these names were human beings, then I asked, what alphabet did these Greek names use? Because the Greeks had no alphabet prior to Alexander coming into Egypt and forcing the Greek language on our ancestors who were a literate people. And they used and learned that Greek language, and they created an alphabet for that Greek language. So that's the reason why I'm saying what I said about uh, about the Greeks and so forth. And you can't get any, uh, no Persians and so forth and so on, because that's all uh, created out of what is known as uh, the chronology of ancient Egypt, created by Western academia using the Bible to do so. Brother Mankara. Thank you, Bob. Now, thank, now that we, we we dealt with the Greeks, and 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 and, and, and I, you know, you, you you cleared up a lot of our questions with the Greeks. So now, moving on past the Greeks, um, two sixty four BC to one forty six BC, ancient Rome versus Carthage. Did Hannibal exist? No. No such thing, okay, because uh, Hannibal is a misnomer, especially uh, in our African community, among our African scholars. Um, that is part of what is known as the Punic Wars, okay, and they are equating a Hannibal to be an African, which is not true. Hannibal, uh, the story is centered in Carthage or Carthaginia. Now, the biblical Carthage is in Africa, in the country that we know today as Tunisia. That's the biblical Carthage, okay? Uh, where this Hannibal Bacar was supposed to have come from is Carthaginia, which is a seaport town in Spain off of the Mediterranean. Now, I'm going to tell you why that this Hannibal never existed of any race, creed, or color. I'm going to tell you why that the Punic War uh, is a lie put out by Western academia. Now, this is the reason. In the Punic Wars, they said this Hannibal came out of Carthaginia, which, again, is in Spain, a seaport town in Spain off of the Mediterranean that this Hannibal was supposed to have had 90 infantrymen, 90,000, I'm sorry, 90,000 infantrymen, 20,000 cavalry men, means men on horseback, now, and 40 elephants. So let's go 
uh, and, and add up what we have. You got ninety thousand plus twenty thousand, which is a hundred and ten thousand men, with twenty thousand horses and forty elephants, going all through, marching all through Spain, the country of Spain, going into France, all through France, up in the Swiss Alps, which is very cold, and coming down in uh, Rome to invade Rome. Now, mind you, for the elephants in a very cold, cold, cold climate, elephants are warm-blooded mammals. They eat a lot. They'll eat snow. Okay? Now, you got 120,000 men and 20,000 horses to feed along with for the elephants. And you're marching all through. Where are, they, where are these people getting their food? Where's the horses getting their food? Where's the elephants getting their food? Where's the 110,000 men getting their food from? Now, if an individual believes that story, then I say, okay, fine, believe it. But I don't believe it. I said that Hannibal's story, according to what I told you, is a lie based off of a lie created by Western academia. The Punic Wars is a lie created by Western academia. And our people, our scholars out here, some of them, I'm not saying all of them, they gravitate to this Hannibal being an African. And they are so proud that this Hannibal is the greatest general that has ever lived on planet Earth. That's a lie. So don't fall for that trick. So that's the reason why I said there's no such thing as a Hannibal or a Punic Wars ever happened. Brother Mankara. Thank you, Walter Williams. Now, I, I, I don't want to sound redundant, but I got to I got to ask you this question because we got a listening audience. The the methodology that you just used will be the same you were used to uh, uh, repudiate the Phoenician, because I noticed in my research, the first thing I did was try to look for a geographical location of Phoenicia, and I couldn't find one. Phoenicians are in the Bible. That's the why you can't find it. The Phoenicians, they're setting you up. Okay, the Phoenicians, their colors are supposed to be purple and all that other kind of BS coming from Western academia. The Phoenicians are uh, equal to the ph phonetics or the Phoenicians supposed to have uh, created paper. And so uh, created everything that is being used in uh, throughout the world by all races of people, you see. And in the movie Selma, if you uh, individuals saw that movie Selma, there was a scene in there where Amelia Boynton Robinson, uh, who was uh, played by an actress, uh, and an actress who was playing Coretta Scott King, they were walking down the street, and the actress that was playing Amelia Boynton Robinson told the actress that was playing Coretta Scott King that we come from a great people, a people who brought civilization to the world. Now, we have to really understand that our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, are the only people on planet Earth that brought civilization to this, to this uh, world. Oh, this planet that we call Earth, okay, and to all of the people living within the planet that we call Earth. So therefore, our greatness is lying 
in the continent of Africa unclaimed at this very moment that I'm talking to you because the descendants are not claiming that. See, they, the sentence has been confused out here because uh, of the school system that has taught us through uh, uh, the years of our time on earth has misled us away on purpose, away from ancient Egypt. They don't want you to be there because if you go to ancient Egypt and claim our ancestors as being the ancient Egyptians who brought civilization to this world, that means that white supremacy can no longer be practiced by the Europeans against us. Can't do that because we know who we are. They can't match. No race of people on earth can match what our ancestors has presented and produced and has given to the world of humanity. Can't do that. So you really have to understand what is happening around us and what has happened uh, and, and what is continuing to happen uh, at this very moment that I'm talking to you at and about us from coming from Western academia. Now, they use different tricks, okay? They use incarnate. They incarnate a name. How do you incarnate a name? You create a name, any kind of name. Just pull a name out of the, out of, out of the air. And what you do in, in order to incarnate that name, such as John, for instance, if you use the name, uh, take the name John, what you do incarnate that name, you uh, make a body for it and put flesh on it. How do you do that? You attach a story to that name of John. John never existed as a human being, okay? But now, once you attach a, a narrative story to John and you put it out there in the school system or you put it in the Bible, where the, the Bible is a book that one has to believe in, or you mix it in with religion. Religion, all religions are man-made. One has to believe in these religions in order to keep them alive. So if you put the story of John, for instance, John lives in Chicago. He's married to uh, a Mary, uh, who is a school teacher in Chicago. Mary and John have two children. Okay, Flaxton and Flaxine. And uh, every Saturday, John and Mary and, the two, and their two children go uh, grocery shopping. John works at the post office. And uh, he was born on uh, uh, August the 15th, uh, 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 1986, or something like that. Any kind of name or, or any kind of uh, birth that you want to give this, John, and you put it in certain places such as the Bible where people come along and they read those stories about John and then John becomes real. How does John becomes real? How does, how does John become real? Because the person who reading the story believed the story and you, the human being, give uh, uh, John just a name, been incarnated, and Mary and their two children, you give them life. And that's how it's done. And then you really have to understand what these uh, uh, these, these 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 Western academians are doing to the whole entire world by uh, incarnating names. And then there are other ways that uh, Western academia get messages and false information to the world. It's by writing through a name, such as let's say let's say Erasmus who created the Novum Instrumentum, better known as the New Testament, he wrote through uh, 
three characters, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. That's never been any Mark, Matthew, or Luke. Those are names that Erasmus, this is as Erasmus, used to write through. You see? So therefore, they put it in certain places, like I mentioned before, and uh, the, the, the reader comes by. He's been trained to believe in these stories. He's been trained in the school system to believe in uh, these stories. He's been trained in the religious institution to believe in these stories. So when he uh, comes by and he sees it in the Bible and he reads the story and he believes it, and when he once he believes it, he puts life to the story. So you really have to understand what is being put before us, what is uh, continuing to be put before us, and... Uh, this is what you need to know in order for you to know the tricks that Western academia has done to all of mankind. So I come along trying to straighten certain things out. A lot of people may say, well, every time you mention something, Walter Williams is going to say, well, that never happened. Well, I'm saying that for a reason, you see. So uh, that's what I have to say to that, Brother Mankara. Thank you. Um well, speaking of speaking of the tricks that that they play, and 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 you right on time with my next question. What are some of the tricks one would have to look for regarding some of the mythology that surrounds the history of Alexander the Greek? Well, first place, in order to be a historian, you have to know dates. Dates are very very important. Because when you read a story or someone tell you about something that's supposed to have happened in history, human history, so you've got to deal with human history. So you've got to know the difference between human history and pseudopigrapher man-made uh, uh, so-called history. Pseudopigrapher means false and fictitious man-made uh, history, which is non-human history. So you have to know the dates. So I always ask, when a person brings me any kind of information, I want to know what date are you talking about that is connected to the, uh, the story or the question that you're asking me so I know how to assess whether that's valid by way of human history or it's non-valid by way of pseudopigrapher, non-human history, you see? So you, you, know, you have to know, and, 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 and dates, dates are very, very important then you can distinguish what is being put before you. You can distinguish what you're reading, whether it's true or false or not. Okay. Okay. I want to. I want you to give me an example with the the uh, ancient Sparta. Who? The Spartans. What year? This is, uh, they say that the Spartans fought with the Persians. No Persians. Right, right, right. I, I want you to use, you know, show the people how you can, by, by having dates, they're trying to push Alexander's history pre-323 or 332 entry into Egypt. Well, you have to understand what Western academia has done by way of creating what is known today as the chronology of ancient Egypt. Uh, in my book that my wife and I are producing, uh, there's a chapter in there, chapter two, where I have a warning to all African scholars, teachers, intellectuals, and students. Do not use the chronology of ancient Egypt as it is written today. 
first dynasty, second dynasty, so forth and so on. Why? Because the ancient Egyptians, our ancestors, never wrote a chronology or a history of themselves. And I've also put in the book, if you think that's not true, then you produce one. Okay? You can't produce one. So um, in the chronology of ancient Egypt, produced by and created by Western academia, uh, they have in that chronology that they created that the Persians came into Egypt in 525 B.C. And then uh, uh, after uh, them being in uh, Egypt, according to the chronology now, they never was there, that Alexander came in and defeated them. Right, Black Power, BB48, Mahotep, welcome to Feet on the Ground Radio. This is Brother Bourne. We're going to get it in nice tonight, Slaughterhouse Saturday. Let's start it off right, though, with a praise Nat Turner, glory to Garvey, long live the spirit of Dr. Khaled Abdul Muhammad, praise Harriet Tubman, glory to Ida B. Wells, long live the spirit of Sister Fanny Lou Hamer, black power, black power, black power. Um, well, tonight, family, you know, we got uh, we got a special for you You know, we got this, the esteemed elder historian, Dr. Walter Williams, you know, he's coming in. And uh, we're going to do a little review from the last show that he came in. We were dealing with misnomers in history. And then, you know, we're going to open it up with some question and, question and answer. Um, so let's do it the right way. Black Power, what's going on out there, Sue? And how are you tonight? Uh, may I hotel Black Power? I'm doing well. Well, I'm looking forward to tonight's show. Um, as you know, as you know, this is Slaughterhouse Saturday, which is a theme we took. Um, under um, John Henry Clark on who's betraying the African Revolution, a book he had wrote. We like to ask the question on Saturday slaughterhouses, who is still betraying the African Revolution? And the context will be tonight will be uh, those who pro- uh, uh, provoke or promote misnomers in history. And tonight I think uh, Brother Bourne already said it, but we have a great elder who is here to explain and iron out some of those wrinkles if, in, in history for those who may not know. So, um, the brother may be already on, um, Brother Bourne, may be already on. Yes, sir, I'm about to go to his line right now Open and open it on now. Okay. All right, um. Come on. Dr. Walter Williams, is you? Yes. Yes, yes sir, my hotel. Yeah, hotel, my brother. All right, welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for having me back on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you know, it's definitely always a pleasure to sit at the feet of an elder historian and, and from our times, a master teacher, you know, and um, we definitely plan on getting into a, uh, several different things. I, I got, got a lineup of questions, a litany of questions, and we got people on the line who's going to have questions and things of that nature, but... Um, I'll let Brother Mickerrod take over right now for for a few moments, and then we'll, you know, we'll just go go along with the dialogue as seems fit. Okay, that sounds great to me. Yes, sir. Thank you, Brother Bourne. Just for those listeners who may not know who you are, uh, uh, Bob Bourne, can you go ahead and tell us who you are, where you're from, you know, when you were born and so forth, and how you got into the subject matter of history? Well, you know, I was born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. I was born 
1931, August the 9th, 1931. I'm 84 years old. I've been studying for 41 years. I, in my lifetime, I've uh, taught uh, college uh, here in Chicago, in the Chicago area. Uh, Olive Harvey, Kennedy King, taught grammar school for three years. Uh, and I've opened up a ancient Egyptian museum here uh, that the doors opened March 11, 1990. It stayed open for 11 years, and I uh, had an institute there uh, as well as a museum. At the institute, we taught uh, classes there on all three major Western religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. And I've written two books, uh, The Historical Origin of Christianity and The Historical Origin of Islam. The thesis of The Historical Origin of Christianity is saying that there's never been a man that ever walked the earth in human form of any race, creed, or color by the name of Jesus Christ never existed. And um, that book has been out for 23 years, selling all over America, in the U.K., uh, in the Caribbean, and all English-speaking countries throughout the world. Uh, the historical origin of Islam, the thesis of that book is saying that there's never been a man that ever walked the earth in human form of uh, any race, creed, or color by the name of a Prophet Muhammad of Islamic tradition never existed. And uh, that book has been out for 13 years and is selling in the same location as the Christianity book. So uh, I do a lot of talk radio shows around the country because I'm in demand by different uh, radio uh, show hosts such as uh, you guys here tonight. And I appreciate you all for having me on tonight. And um, uh, that's just about a short overview of me, Walter Williams. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, it may sound redundant. My questions may sound redundant because we talk frequently, but for the listening audience, you know, I want to ask these questions. Uh, can you tell us what is history, uh, Bob Williams? Well, history consists of five things, or five ingredients, as I call it. Time, people, places, events, and literature. The literature is needed to write the time of the historical event, uh, the people who participated or made that uh, event, and the event itself. Uh, and uh, the literature is, 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 is used to write and keep that time so in uh, future uh, generations coming before us that they will know what happened in the year 2016, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the base foundation of uh, history, knowing the time, people, places, events, and having literature to uh, record those time, people, places, and events. So that is, in essence, uh, uh, the foundation of uh, the rudiments of history. Thank you. And can you tell, uh, listen, Arnest, how important facts are in regards to finding history? Well, facts are, are very, very important because, uh, as I uh, stated in my books, facts are stronger than argument, more profound than reasoning, more dependable than opinions, silences dispute, supersedes predictions and facts always in the argument, unless you're talking to an individual who does not want to know the facts. Now, um, 
what's in control out here today is the European has control of the school system, okay? And um, uh, so you got to be very careful in reading what the Europeans have put out because there's a lot of tricks that they use to put things out and for the purpose uh, used by Western academia to put things out. One of the main things that you really have to understand, us Africans in the African community, is to understand that they have taught us away, us Africans away, from who our ancestors are, okay? Uh, because they don't have a beginning known history of themselves, the Europeans I'm talking about. One has to realize uh, that Europeans uh, in Europe and throughout Europe has only had literacy, uh, literacy in Europe for 619 years with this year, 2016. 619 years, that's it. So therefore, they are Johnny come later on the scene of world history. And their history started when Alexander the Greek came into Egypt to meet our ancestors. Now, our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, had a first beginning history and the oldest beginning history known to mankind. And we were talking about a date of 10,000 B.C., okay? Uh, and they are the ones that uh, brought literacy to the whole entire world because they were the only literate people walking this planet we call Earth during the time of antiquity. Antiquity means ancient times. So therefore, by them creating the world's first alphabet, that is what made them literate. You see, literacy you cannot have, no one can have, unless you know your ABCs. That uh, knowledge of knowing your ABCs makes you literate because you're uh, able to use the, that alphabet to learn how to read, write, and spell. So that makes you a literate person. So you really have to understand uh, who the European, uh, who he is, and who we are, and our ancestors are as a people. I didn't say where, but are. We have to get back to our ancient Egyptian ancestors and unify around ancient Egypt and our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, because they forth and so on. So don't fall for that. The only place that you find Phoenicians is in the Bible, and the Phoenicians lead you to Jews in the Bible. It's a setup. Don't fall for it. That's the reason why you can't find anything on Phoenicians outside of the Bible. Okay. And I asked that question because I received a bachelor's when I went to uh, Cal State University of San Bernardino, and this is an anthropological class mainly on archaeology, and they like to focus that Mesopotamia is the cradle of civilization. And you, you're saying that the, they're using the Bible to do so. Am I correct? It's correct. So you got to remember this, man, Karah. The chronology of ancient Egypt that's out here now, first, second, third dynasty, and so forth and so on, that was created by Western academia using the Bible. In my new book that's coming out, I am giving you, the reader, the, an old chronology that came out of a book that was dated 1867 on Egypt. And I, they had a chronology in there. 
And the first king of uh, of Egypt was Mezram. And in parenthesis, they said Menes. Mezram is the son of Ham in the Bible. Mezram, uh, the son of Ham. Ham is the son of Noah. Noah had three uh, sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, that makes up what is known in the Bible as the family and table of nations. So that was the first cat that they let out of the bag when they said Mezram. Mezram, other name, is supposed to be Egypt, and that's supposed to be the first pharaoh of, of ancient Egypt. Also in this chronology I'm putting uh, from this 1867 uh, chronology in uh, my book, which uh, lists uh, Mezram as the first uh, dynastic king, they will tell you uh, from different periods in uh, this chronology where you can find what they just what you just got through reading in this chronology in the Bible. So they're giving you all these different Bible verses in there, and I got that to show uh, our readers in the African community what these people are doing. Now, also, uh, the Europeans has created another chronology. Uh, based off of Mesopotamia, which is biblical, okay? And in this chronology, they are paralleling the chronology that they created for ancient Egypt, but guess what they're doing? They are, they, they are creating a Sumerian and a cuneiform to say that the Sumerians bought was the first people to, to bring writing to the world, to knock our ancestors off of that throne of being the first literate people to bring an alphabet to the world. Don't fall for it, Brother Mankara. Yes, sir, and I haven't because the, the first thing I wanted to examine were the artifacts and I wanted to get a definitive uh, 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 explanation or, or a decipherment of the so-called cuneiform on clay tablets. And I was listening to a lecture by a professor. His name was Peter Robertshaw. He's a Brit. And uh, omission he had left out, he, 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 was, he was talking about the, the geographical landscape of this so-called Mesopotamia. And he omitted and said that there is no metal or there is no uh, uh, stone quarries, anything of that nature, that, to have metal, and and I look and these these, are, these people are supposed to be the architects of civilization, the creators of writing, and great agriculturalists. So wh when he said that, I, the first thing that went off my mind was what what were these people doing then, uh, cutting their crops with stone sickles, you know, to some extent. So. Everything you said, you know, in that regard to the Mesopotamians, I've, I've cross-referenced, and they lack, they lack um, culture material. And one thing I've noticed too, and, and been able to prove with your uh, your information, is how they create artifacts. Could you go into that a little bit? Well, let me let me tell you this. Before I go into that, I want to tell you this. Mesopotamia is only in the Bible never existed as a place where human beings live. Mesopotamia is in Iraq, supposedly. Now, they never tell you that Iraq was a part of Arabia. They never mention that. 
uh, and Iraq became Iraq in 1920 when the League of Nations gave a mandate after World War One was won by the British government to the British for that area that is Northeast Africa, misnomer today and called the Middle East. So what the British did, uh, they also made that area uh, the land of the Bible, see? And they went into Arabia in 1920 and boarded Arabia off and made the country called Iraq and boarded off Iraq and made the country called Kuwait in order to break up all the, that oil reserve that was lying in Arabia. They didn't want it under one rulership, see? So one has to really understand that. And in your studies and in the books that you're studying and have studied about uh, Mesopotamia, about Iraq, about Sumeria, et cetera, et cetera, they never tell you that Iraq or Mesopotamia, uh, uh, they, they tell you that it was part of Iraq, but they never tell you Iraq was part of Arabia. They never tell you that, okay? So uh, that is one thing I want to bring to your attention. Now, the other question you asked me, well, what was that, Menkara? Um, created artifacts because you went into the, my next question as well, which is was Jules Opert or Opert in Europeans creating artifacts or or putting definition on artifacts because I had the privilege of doing some archaeological work last summer for the first time after I graduated and the main thing they focused when they taught us was our job is to just find the artifacts, catalog them describe them and that's it and later on someone else will come and do an you know the interpretation of what whatever we found so could you go into that how they create artifacts or how they redefine artifacts in a biblical context okay now what here's what one has to understand about archaeologists okay now uh they had a program on 60 Minutes uh, two, three years ago concerning archaeologists. And uh, long story short, there was a, a antiques dealer in New York City. And uh, the narrator in 60 Minutes went to him, and this is what he said about archaeologists. He said, archaeologists are the biggest liars in the world. This is what he said. Okay, now, uh, let me go back a little further. Uh, I get a publication, which is a bi-monthly publication called Biblical Archaeology Review. And that magazine that I get bi-monthly uh, gives me uh, the information that I need to uh, use against Western academia. Now, in one of uh, the uh, uh, questions and answers to the the editor. That's a section, questions and answers to the editor in this particular publication. There was an archaeologist group uh, criticizing another group of archaeologists. They said that uh, archaeologists 
at a dig in the middle of the night, go out and plant artifacts to be dug up the next day and to be discovered by the diggers or the students who are digging over there or the people who's digging over there. Uh, so they uh, they plant these artifacts, okay? And uh, that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is that they create artifacts in the basements of these various Western academian colleges and universities. They create artifacts that they want to present to the world as being authentic artifacts. And uh, they got a, 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 you take like, there's a there was an archaeologist, the father of archaeologists, William Foxwell Albright, who uh, sat at uh, uh, Johns Hopkins University in Maryland. He sat in uh, the seat that he held down the seat of archaeology there at Johns Hopkins University, and he was the one that Jews would go to and to date things. Uh, he was supposed to have been the one who dated the Shalom inscription, which is a fake. Never been no Shalom inscription. They created that. But they give authenticity to it, or try to give authenticity to it, by using William Foxwell Albright, this renowned, respected archaeologist who sits in the chair at Johns Hopkins University uh, as being head of the archaeologist department there. They go to him for the dating of, uh, of their artifacts, so-called artifacts, and he gives authenticity by uh, applying his name and a date to the artifacts that they bring in to him. He, he is the one that was also used to create the dating of the Dead Sea Scrolls to give the Dead Sea Scrolls some type of authenticity. William Foxwell Albright. So uh, archaeologists cannot be trusted. So don't put no faith in no archaeologists or archaeology. Don't do that. Now, in 1986, the students of William Foxwell Albright had a symposium on Albright. And at this symposium, his students, students was there. And they came up with the conclusion that Albright took the Bible in one hand and a shovel in the other, in the other hand to try to dig up in the earth something that will justify the, the stories in the Bible to be true, to make it the Bible literal. So, therefore, they said that he floundered, that he failed. He did not do that. He could not do that because you cannot take and, and dig in the earth, no place on earth, and try to dig up anything that proves the Bible to be literate or to be literal. You can't do that because the Bible is based off of a book that one has to believe in. So, therefore, if you don't believe in the stories in the Bible, then that makes the Bible invalid as human history. So don't fall for archaeology. Very, very dangerous. Brother Minkara? Yes, sir. And I'm in the field every day battling them. 
um, and been kind of quarantined because of the revelations I've made by reading your book, both your books, and testing them in the field. And it's funny because I asked so-called doctors who have um, professor emeritus at universities who have so-called impeccable backgrounds in regards to European scholarship, and I asked them who was Jules O'Perk, and they had no knowledge of him. And the first phone discussion I had with you and your wife, you you were familiar with his 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 work, his his role in you know prom- promoting a biblical interpretation of archaeology. A lot of people have no knowledge of because they think because if the culture material fits the biblical perspective, it makes it real, and that's not the case at all in regards to using the discipline of history. And I've also noticed that archaeologists, European archaeologists, they have a quarry or, 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 or a contention with historians, mainly um Shankety Diop's work and so forth like that. That's another discussion. You know, but what I'd like to do right now is go ahead and see uh ask Brother Bourne if he has any questions, uh uh Walter I mean you can do this all day. <laughs> okay. Thank uh, you, Brother Mankara. No problem. Well, I do I do have some questions, and we're going to also, you know, I want the family on the line to know that we are going to go to the line and allow some of the people in the audience to ask some questions. Um, one, the, the first question that I wanted to ask, though, is um, what what dynasty, if you would look back at the dynasties that you, that you have studied in Egypt, which one would you say would be your favorite dynasty uh, that, that stands out the most to you? Well, here, uh, Brother Bourne, is this. Like I told Brother Menkara that the dynasties, you can't, you, I've got a warning in my new book coming out to all African scholars, teachers, intellectuals, and students do not use the chronology of ancient Egypt because the ancient Egyptians never wrote a history or a chronology of themselves. Western academia created the chronology of ancient Egypt. So I had to. I can't. I don't have a favorite one because I know who and how they created these chronologies. And I'm putting five different chronologies in my book as uh, examples of what I'm saying. So my answer to you, I have none. I can't because our ancestors, the ancient Egyptians, did not write or create a chronology of themselves, brother Bond. All right. Thank you for that answer right there. Um, the the other question, another question that I do have is about Manito. What do you what um what 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 is your outlook on um, Manito and his writing? Manito. Yeah. What year are you talking about? Um, Manito's the one who he he wrote. Well, when I'm asking a question in regards to a date that he gave for how long um, the African civilization went back, but but really, uh, you know what? Really, I, uh, according to how you answered the question earlier, I might as well scrap this question. Well, let me hear, Brother Bourne. Don't scrap the question. You're talking about Manitho, right? Yes. Manitho is supposed to have uh, been living during the time of Ptolemy to Philadelphia, 
the son of Tony One like he called Sota. Uh, Tony One like he called Sota, as you know, and I uh, was on your program last month showing you how Tony One became Serapis and how Serapis became for Christ. And uh, Manitho is used by Western academia as a name to write through saying that this Manitho told uh, the Greeks uh, about his ancestors, the ancient Egyptians. Now, in uh, a book by James Henry Breasted, A History of Egypt, he is saying on page 24 that we do not possess a history of ancient Egypt. Now, this is what he said. We mean us, them, I'm sorry, not us, but them, Western uh, academia, those, in other words, Europeans, do not possess a history of the ancient Egyptians. He said that the uh, purely uh, history given by Manetho, the word purely means uh, childish, trivia, uh, and so forth and so on. Information given by Manetho uh, cannot be used. Okay? And then uh, later, uh, further down on page 24 of his book, he asked the reader to forgive him for not knowing anything about ancient Egypt, but he went on to write 624 pages about ancient Egypt. But he said he knew nothing about ancient Egypt. So Manitho, in my new book coming out, I am exposing Manitho to the reader. And so uh, Manitho uh, cannot be used to validate any type of ancient Egyptian history because there's never been a man that walked to earth by the name of Manitho. Okay? Sure. So, um, that's my answer to you, Brother Bourne. Thank you very much for for that right there. Um I got a couple I got a couple other questions, though they um 